Okay, everyone, we are back with Chris Logan, my co-host, and this is Michael Ogors, and we're going to tackle yet again another year of anniversary albums. There's a lot of good year anniversaries, uh, I mean, anniversary albums this year, but we're going to tackle 1989, which was a pretty mammoth year for, for rock and alternative rock in particular. It's kind of, I guess, the one of the big years kind of foretelling what the 90s were going to be like because it was such a diverse year for music. So there's a lot going on here. We had to do some research because we're old codgers and this is, I can't believe these albums are 30 years old. It just blows my mind. It just does not right. does not seem real. It doesn't seem real to me that it doesn't make any sense that these are 30 years old. I just can't fathom it. Right. Yeah. But it, 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 it is it is a huge year. It's it's like a turn turnkey year into what, just like you were saying that, where something like alternative music at or college rock really was turning into a more mainstream fare. And so there was a lot of these records that were, I think, milestone records that turned not just the these bands, but the entire genre into a mainstream success. Sell out, you know, platinum records, selling out tours, merchandise, everything. Everything was, was much bigger, on, on a much bigger scale at this point. And... This really was, I think, the year that 120 minutes became kind of an institution. You know, like it was like you, you, every Sunday you had to get ready to watch 120 minutes because that would kind of give you a blueprint of what things to look out for. And it, yeah, it was just it was a, a massive, massive year. So, I think what I'm going to kick off with, just because it, they turned 30 last uh, Thursday, is the Cult Sonic Temple, and that's right. the band are going to celebrate this year. They're doing a Sonic Temple tour. Which is kind of weird because I, I was reading an article with them describing as the main set will consider the core songs of Sonic Temple. I'm like, well, what exactly are the core songs? That's a odd. Right. It's a odd. Are you just saying singles? <laughs> yeah, because I listened. I read an interview with Ian, and of course he was like, well, for many people it's just Firewoman, a Sweet Soul Sister, but it's more than that. And went on, and I'm like, yeah, he's right. But you know, I'm like, are you guys not going to play Firewoman, Sweet Soul Sister? Because that would make no sense <laughs> if you're going like, right. to skip the the two biggest hits. But I'm like, Sonic Tipple's a really weird album. Um, it is. I mean, when it came out, it was like, I mean, that's the cult's biggest mainstream moment, and that you know appeared in the top five. It was a it was a top ten debut. It sold over a million copies, maybe more. Um, they did a bunch of high profile tours. I'll discuss that in a little bit, yep. but that was really like like the album that broke them big. I mean, they, Electric, you know, Love made a little headway in college rock. Electric was got them, you know, into like the rock fans. It's like Tipple was was right. was. It just shows you what a weird band the Colts are, and they're one of my favorite bands. Yeah, but they're it's they have they are able to dip their toes into so many different uh, genres because you know they're obviously they they have some goth influence, some. Post punk, you know, they came from a punk background. Yeah. But then also unapologetically, you know, in the seventies rock, arena rock. Um mm -hmm. yeah. so they've got this weird, you know, one foot in the alternative, one foot in like classic hard rock, and you know, and, and they somehow managed to even appeal to a lot of the, the hair metal fans for a, a bit, even though they, yeah. they don't really the aesthetic is totally different. 
You know, I mean, they had right. lo- long hair and they wore leather, but they did not look like poodles. You know, what I mean, I mean, I mean, they were they had more. Right. <laughs> I think there was a, there was another genre around them called biker rock. You know, with like L.A. Guns and people that weren't quite so frizzy. And I think the cult kind of fell more into that on this thing. But this was yeah. like this made them like like a major arena act for a while. It didn't last for long because they yeah. would eventually go back into kind of their roots. But um, Firewoman, of course, was a huge, massive hit, and. uh when I when I think of this album, I, I think even though it's their biggest hit for me, I, I'm I'm more of a love electric kind of guy. I I think yeah, that that the, that the singles that were you know I think Sun King was fantastic. That's a, that's one of their best. I love that that mm-hmm. op- that opening with the bass line and everything is really great. Um, Solo Sound was pretty pretty cool. Uh, Soldier Blue is probably my second favorite because that's got a, it's a great riff. Um, I had forgotten about that one. Yeah, that's you know, and then, that's a good one. But some songs like Automatic Blues, I mean, I, I maybe that won't make the chorus set they, or Wake Up Time for Freedom. They could skip both of those. <laughs> those aren't are their strongest. But you know, American Horse is a good is a good tune. Um, and Edie, of course, yeah. it was like was like their power ballad. It was, you know, oh, yeah. which was, you know, so I think that was a hit around here. I don't know if it was. Yeah, it was. It was a pretty a pretty. It was like the video was on MTV quite a bit. And okay, okay, but. I remember it being a pretty big song around here. And what's what's funny is I've read so many articles about about it, and when I interviewed Billy Duffy, we didn't really touch on it uh, too much. But um, that was a major highlight for me. Was talking to that guy because he was super super cool dude. That's awesome. Just so yeah. very yeah. very approachable. But I read so many articles where they really. And I even, do you remember they did the cult did a behind the music? Do you remember that they did one on the cult? Uh, you know what? No, I don't. I don't. And I, I, it's like I, I saw. I, I, I miss. I miss a lot of behind the music stuff. <laughs> but what 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 I've gathered from a lot of uh, interviews was that Ian really wanted to make an album that was kind of more in the vein of of the post punk stuff. He was really into like a lot of garage yeah. ro- garage rock at the time, like bands like the Fuzz Tones and and stuff that was really um, you know kind of proto grunge stuff he was he was big in the sound garden they were right. like they were like mutual friends of that band and mother love bone and he wanted to go in that kind of that direction but billy wanted to do like the big arena rock album so bob rock of course yeah. catered to that and ian didn't really like the production of it and they butted heads so much that eventually they they started were for a band that's only like basically a trio you know or, and others are higher guns they had two different buses the, the ian bus and the billy bus <laughs> I mean, they, oh, man. <laughs> and like Ian well, was in that in that the tale of the eighties. Yeah, yeah. And we got the Eddie bus. We got the David bus. We got the Michael Anthony bus. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. So yeah, they're doing a thirty anniversary tour, um, celebrating yeah. this album. Yeah. Um, what are your? Do you have any thoughts on it further, or as far as what your memories of it are? Or? Well, you know, it, it it was the third record, and it was a third different sound from them. You know? Yeah, everything was. Di- I, 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 I kind of felt like you know, it, it was it, it was a band that was just looking and looking and looking, and I mean, where love, of course, is the one that I love the most. Yeah. Um, but not to say that I didn't like Electric because Electric was so cool and groovy, but I, I think my heart was really into that neo psychedelia, um, kind of kind of sound that they were doing on love and so whenever they hit sonic temple that was like you said going towards a little bit more of a arena sound you know i started i started to lose a little traction with them not not to say that i didn't didn't like some of the songs off of it 
because uh, I certainly did. But it, it was it, it was a, a another sound from the same band, which you know, in retrospect, you, you got to hand it to them. I mean, that's something that that bands these days just don't really do. They don't they don't tinker with their sound anymore. Yeah, at least not on the mainstream level. And so, regardless of whether or not I, I was really into it, I. I, I 30 years on, I, I can give them a lot of credit for, you know, going for it. And, and you know, creative differences aside and, and their their personal issues with each other, can, you know, that that's that's great for a band like the Colts, who were fairly mainstream at that point, because Electric really put them over. Rick Rubin production on that. I think it was Rick Rubin who did Electric. Oh, yeah. Electric, isn't that right? Yeah, did, did the whole ACDC and, aesthetic gosh, there. I mean, yeah, I mean, and it, then the turnaround and, and 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 put out something like Sonic Temple was kind of gutsy, honestly, it, because don't you want another electric? Yeah, I mean, we all wanted another Master of Puppets, but you know, hey, so so be it. And it and it's it good for them though. It, it, it's not it's not a favorite record of mine, but on 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 a creative level for uh, a band like the Colt. That's that. This was this was a really good move and a, a, a fairly decent record, honestly. And it and it kind of married both sounds really because you had the big rock riffs of electric, but you also had some of the atmospheric touches of love on there. There's a lot more like echoey guitar, right. and it was kind of a right. good a good balance of that. And it's interesting because I think you saw a lot of Bowie influence on in them as far as like being able to reinvent themselves, which is why Ceremony yeah. was such a kind of a bland follow-up because it was very like a site temple part two. I think it was, that was a big creative and, right. it, and it hurt them because it exactly. came out, came out right at the height of grunge. So it was like the worst time thing. And I feel like if they had put out their 94 album, which I think is amazing actually. And, and, yeah. and we can talk about that when we, Oh my God, cat, what'd you just do? Ugh. He like sat on the keyboard and erased all these. <laughs> oh my God. No kidding. Oh my God. All right. Anyways, uh yeah so uh did you ever hear the 1994 album maybe it was 95 i have to double check uh, is that which one was that one was that ceremony had, had, had the goat head on the cover it was like a it was self-titled oh no it was no, it was re- no. it's it's great it's like it's Bob. Or, i probably i probably did but it was that's it was a, like a one or two time thing. I mean, I was well in the, in, in, in the stores and we listened to it, I'm sure. But I, I, I was already, I had fascination with something else at that point, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I felt like if they had, if that had come out instead of Ceremony, I think they would have been much more relevant because that was more of their like, you know, alternative influence coming back in. And then, of course, they've, they've bounced back through a bunch of different styles since then. But Sonic Temple was definitely the biggest album they ever did. And I'd be curious to hear how they're going to approach it on their tour if they're not gonna play all the songs i'm just curious yeah. what's gonna make the final cut so i'll be paying attention to those set lists for sure how about we touch on doolittle real quick yeah let's do it let's do doolittle so yeah doolittle uh in order it's really the second record from the pixies uh being surfer being the first one i guess come on come on program pilgrim was the ep mm-hmm. but uh Somewhere along the line, somebody from Warner Brothers really liked liked the sound, and but they they still had their deal with 4AD. Um, but this record was it it for me. 
it was really a, a big turning point record. Um, along the lines of like uh, the, the Sonic Youth Daydream Nation. This was like, this this comes second on that list as to what what was shaping, I think, the sound of future alternative music um, on, on the radio. Uh, there, there, there's no way you can't find anybody, especially in, at any time through the through the '90s, that, that didn't say that uh, Doolittle did not influence you at all. You know, from Kurt Cobain to you know whoever you are, you know, Radiohead, maybe PJ Har- PJ Harvey, Head. yeah, exactly. I mean, the sound is it. It was it was it Blur. was still unique and and and. And mind you, it was it was almost different from Surfer Rosa. Surfer Rosa was almost like it, it had its heavy moments, but you felt a lot more like acoustic, uh, a lot more of an, an, an acoustic indie out of that one. And, and that's a great record by you know by every every indication of it. It, it, it was a fantastic record. But what I what I liked about um, uh, Doolittle was just from the opening track, you know, I, I, I was just floored whenever I heard the baser completely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a, a, like a couple songs on here that, that, that I, I'll tend to skip. Um, like, uh, was it silver towards the end? But as far as the, and, and, and I used to skip Here Comes Your Man because it was such on heavy rotation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after kind of digging into it a little bit, it it, it was made for like next to nothing. Uh, you know, mind you, it wasn't like a Nirvana bleach that was made super cheap, but for a major label album, it was made for next to nothing and went on and just created created such a such a unique sound in in alternative that it, 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 it's it still it still lasts today for me. Yeah, I feel I like, can still put that record on; it feels fresh. I feel like Doolittle was like much more involved with atmos- atmospherics and and uh, just really trying different different stuff instead of kind of like just the big kind of pummeling stuff or like you said the acoustic stuff. There's a lot more layers on this one. I mean, here comes your man is, is such a weird track. Cause it's like. It's almost as it like a, it's got this kind of Beach Boys kind of feel, you know, like the bass line and, yeah. and the guitar and all that, and, and it's and then you got uh, Monkey Go- Monkey Gone to Heaven, which is this really strange, right. um, very atmospheric track. But right. then you've got you know Wave of Mutilation. I mean, there, I bleed. You've got so many, you know, Tame. There's so many good songs. Yeah, uh, and and it's they're really kind of firing on all, on all cylinders here, and it's also got my favorite. Pixie song ever, which is a uh, gouge away. The last track, which I gouge does, away, yeah, yeah, which is a strange e- euphemism for for sex, if I if I'm correct from reading <laughs> inspirations. But it's just got <laughs> such a good a good groove, and it and it's like dark and eerie, and it's got that really heavy, you know, chorus. It's just really awesome. Yeah, I mean, P- Doolittle was just one of those albums that you know came out. It was like a college rock, you know, staple. I mean, it was just it was huge. And and I I you know I think it's it's interesting too is is waving mutilation which I absolutely love that version I also and equally love the version they put on that pump up the volume soundtrack 
the uh Oh, I love that. It was like they took the whole thing and made it in this, in this entire different beast, you know? And the Pixies, to me, I'm not a big fan of their, of their recent stuff, but those first four albums are just, they're all great in different ways. But, you know, Doolittle yeah. is, is arguably their, their best one. I think you could you could argue that even over Surfer Rosa. I, I, I know that's kind of like the the jockeying point for a lot of people, but I actually think Trop Lamont may, may be my favorite, but... I know that's kind of like yeah yeah kind of... I, I was gonna say I I you know for for those for those first four gosh you know Trump Lamont I think because at the time that was that was the final record that was it mm-hmm. and and I saw them open for U tour U two on oh that's on, right uh, on tour and I thought man I don't know how that's gonna work because I mean I'd seen the Pixies in a small club it was amazing. <laughs> Let me tell you, they filled the sound completely. There was there was a reason why they were a, a much bigger band in Europe, is because they played to, they were able to play to so many people, and their sound fit. And their sound fit. But Doolittle, I mean, Doolittle is 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 still a fantastic record. I go to it once every six weeks at least, probably since then. And maybe get on kicks to where I listen to it nonstop. Yeah, it's still a great freaking record. It really is. <laughs> and it, and I think a good segue from that, since the Pixies covered Jesus and Mary Chains head on on Trump Lamond, uh, how about we move yep. on the Jesus and Mary Chains Automatic, which also came out in '89. Yep, and it was another. That was kind of their big turning point record too, because they had had some indie success, you know. Obviously, with Psycho Candy is their, you know, their critical favorite, the yeah. just like Honey, but Automatic, right. you know, was really kind of gave them an updated sound. It had a lot more of a, even though it wasn't very electronic, they had drum machines, which they've had I think on pre, pre, prior albums that are really like had a cool synthetic kick to the to the percussion. And and they they kind of dialed back the feedback for just more kind of straight ahead garage rock riffs. And, yeah. you know, it paid off. I mean, obviously, you know, a Blues from a Gun was a great, great rocking track. It's just an awesome kind of Peter Gunn style riff and yeah. and mm-hmm. and head on, which is, you know, one of their best tracks. And if you ever seen them live, even seen like I saw them a few years ago and they were just badass. And, and that came on. Everybody was just losing right. their, losing, was losing their mind. You know, it was it was great. And I, you know, it's but it's weird, though, because it's like even though those hits were big, you don't really hear a lot of a lot of love for the rest of the album. It's, it's kind of confined to those two tracks, but that's unfair because there's a lot of great stuff. You got Here Comes Alice, which is a really cool kind of moody opener. And then Between Planets, which is maybe my favorite song off of there, which kind of has the same vibe as Head On, but it's like even more kind of atmos- uh, kind of a euphoric and just a real great a real great riff. You know, the lyrics aren't very deep. They never, yeah. they never are. It's always about drugs and, you know, Come here, and, you know, the girl, right. the girl of this, and the boy. That, you know, it's, it's just very uh, this minimalist style that that it just works for them so well. You know, it's it's like this. It, I think that somebody called them the Beach Boys on acid, and that's the perfect description. I think of Jason Mary Chain. So you know, I still listen to it now and then. If if I hear head on on the radio, I always crank it up. But it's it's got, sure. oh, yeah. it, but it's got a lot more than just those those, those songs, you know. I mean, drops a great song, uh, halfway to crazy. There's just there's a bunch of good a good a good tracks on that. So, 
I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I, it, 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 it is a turning turning record for them um, because that sound, I, I think that sound just lived for that record, didn't it? Yeah, because it, cause it went from I that mean, to Honey's Dead, back, which was... Back to almost Honey's Dead, which is almost, I mean, that's about as, about as close to Psycho Candy, I think, as you're going to get from them at that point, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's that's because it was very. It had a lot of feedback and mm-hmm. and started to go back a little bit more, um, which is a theme that I have, but bleak, uh-huh. <laughs> a bit more bleak, a lot more dance, um, dance, dance. Um, um, it was beats too. It, it was almost like it was almost like their 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 groovy record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, automatic it's... was. Yeah, I remember it being on on high rotation for me. You know, it was that was a fun record, and and I think that's whenever we well, when did we see them play Lollapalooza? That was that, in, the, in the in the day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which the, was silly. Yeah, that that was for Honey's Dead. That was the the Lollapalooza. Honey's Dead. Okay, I was thinking so because I started to think maybe they were play they played Reverence during that set. That's a good track. But yeah, oh yeah, that's a really good track. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that was actually Reverence was the highlight of seeing them when I saw them a, a couple of years ago at Emos because they just took, they took that track and just like it just got this crazy like I don't know what the, the feedback was nuts and they just really took it into like a whole new level. It was really tripped out. It was it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, I felt like I was like on acid even though I, I was only had a few drinks in me. It was it right. was it was that kind of like vibe, you know. That's how you know a band's great when they right. make you make you feel altered, but. Yeah, Automatic's just a really good, fun album. You know, it's it's not too deep. It is. It doesn't stay it's stay overstay. It's welcome. It just bam, 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 and and then you're done. So I think Automatic is definitely a, a, a it, you know, if you think of '89, you think about driving around, and you think about blaring Automatic a lot. Oh it, yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a that is a good driving around record. <laughs> it's really, really a lot of fun, and. Well, I guess on that track, as far as talking about feedback and guitars and good and uh, grooves and all that, another album came out that was on your list to, to mention was Bleach, Nirvana's yeah. uh, uh, debut album, a full length album. <laughs> and yep. and uh, what are your what are your thoughts on Bleach? Looking back on it, man, that that kind of goes uh, leans back on that on that Doolittle where you want to talk about something that was made for nothing. I mean. The production-wise, it kind of sounds like they made it for a couple cases of beer. I think I think they made it for like six thousand dollars at, at at the time, and <clears throat> you know, I, 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 I'm pretty certain that initially it it didn't do well. But of course, you know, by by 1991, whenever they break through, it 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 started out well. It became Sub Pop's best-selling record. Um. There's not a whole bunch, a whole bunch going on with it, except for I think that they were emulating a lot of what was what was happening in next door to them. You know, um, they they were just trying to do kind of what everybody else was doing at that point. You know, that there was Mud uh, Honey and 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 uh, I think it was Mother Love Bone. Around at that point, yeah, had and, to have been and Soundgarden and but uh, yeah, just just being deliberately, you know, sad 
even though I'm sure that there's, I mean, hey, there's not a lot to do, I'm sure, at that point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except for, like, making music and getting high or something like that. But um, they're, they're, the uh, the songs are pretty are pretty manic and, and bleak. Once again, part of my theme for today. Um, but it, 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 it's not, it's not a great record. And the only reason why I really pick it is because it's Nirvana and it should be talked about because you get the blueprint of the sound often forget. Yeah. I think people often forget. They don't start with, never mind. Mm -hmm. These days. Yeah. Cause by the time that you get to Butch Vig behind the, behind the, the desk forum, um, on on Nevermind, they're they're living um, Kurt's John Lennon dream at that point. Mm-hmm. But it there's not a lot to it. I still love the record though, just because it it's it's a snapshot, and it we should all remember that record as being just part of a. A completely nationwide movement. Well, yeah, and and you know it's got significance because you know about a girl, uh, you know the band really popularized on on their acoustic uh, 120 minutes. I mean, un- unplugged set on MTV, and that's a and that's yeah. a and that's a really great example of like Cobain's like John Lennon style of writing. You know, yeah, big hooks, atmospheric, um, wistful, dark as you mentioned. Right. So that's a great track. Uh, negative creep, badass. Negative creep, yeah. Gra- I mean, his love lyri- buzz. Yeah, love buzz. Uh, Floyd, Floyd the barber, which is always is one of my Floyd favorites because it's just so twisted yeah. and weird and and gender bending and you know. So, so there's there's you know, Bleach is a really great uh, launching pad for that band. It kind of you know, but I don't think anybody, I don't think if you told anybody. When you listen to Bleach, that they become one of the biggest bands on the planet, they would be like, "What?" Right. You know, they yeah. were they they should have you know they were destined in many minds to be you know kind of like a dinosaur junior or like a or like a Sonic right. or like a Sonic Youth, a band that had a core audience that was very devoted but never got to be big, and somehow uh, it's very strange somehow they became the biggest band on the planet, and I'm still not sure quite how that happened. It's just crazy. Yeah, me neither. Because I just because I just remember I remember I started going to this new school and a friend of mine was playing Bleach and he's like this is a new album called called uh, Nevermind by the same band I'm like check it out and I'm like this is really good you know this is really right. catchy I dug it and then like, three weeks later you know the video came out and then like a month later the biggest band on the planet and I'm like this is crazy I mean I, I just remember like this band right. that, I, that I never heard of three weeks ago is now the biggest band on the planet you know and yeah so yeah, yeah. so Bleach is, is like the epitome of, of humble beginnings. It for, is. It is for sure, and and you know, speaking of humble beginnings, I mean, the perfect segue for this is to talk about another uh, grunge uh, debut, or at least a major label debut—not the first album, but Soundgarden came out that year with "Louder Than Love," which yeah, is, yeah, which is, I mean, truthfully, that's one of my favorite albums by them. I just I love it, and it you know it wasn't very popular either, didn't get very very big, but you really saw the potential on that for how big those guys were going to get and just how they were doing this really weird hodgepodge of kind of like the big um, rock of the cult 
and and some yeah. post punk stuff. I mean, they, they they had a lot of similarities to that, but really super 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 raw. Uh, Terry Date produced it. And of course, he produced you know a lot of Pantera stuff and and prong right. stuff. Just a really a really great metal producer. And it sounds super heavy. I mean, you got Ugly Truth. You got Hands All Over, which I really have always dug that song. That again got the the Jimmy Page Middle Eastern vibe to it. They, they actually played that. They play that and Get on the Snake. Do you remember that that really weird movie, yeah. Lost Angels? Do you remember that movie that came out? It was Lost it, where it had, it had Adam Horowitz from you know King Ad Rock was the main guy. It's just oh, like right, yeah, right, right. So that yeah. I saw I saw that in the theater. That's where I first heard Soundgarden. And then my friend uh, bought the album, and we were like, "This is some." awesome shit you know because la- the loud love right. is great but the one that always got me and the one that i still if i hear it, you know to me it's, it's soundgarden's best song and also their most like un underrated song because many people know about it but gun i think gun is a really good song because it's really gun, yeah because it's really weird because it starts off really slow and and the entire if you listen to it the entire song it Picks up the pace, picks up the pace, picks up the pace, and it goes faster and faster and faster until the very end. And I don't know, it's, it must have been a hard song to record. You, you got to be really cognizant of changing the rhythm up and building momentum up. So it really just keeps changing and changing. It's just a really, really cool song. The riff is great. Um, but then you had the, the um, you know, the, the more, I guess, kind of uh, somber moments like I Awake, which is really that, which is written by the, uh, by, uh, I forget the guy's first name. I think Hiro Yamamoto, who was their bassist until Hero. Ben, yeah, yeah, until yeah. until uh, Ben Shepard joined for uh, for uh, Bad Motorfinger. Right. But he was, you right. know, he had he had some really cool stuff on there. Uh, no wrong, no right, and then full on Kevin's mom, which is really kind of it just it just makes you feel <laughs> feel 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 uncomfortable because <clears throat> you. I, I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, just the whole time having sex with somebody somebody's mom is just really messed up and. <clears throat> and big dumb sex, which is like, which is probably the worst song on the album, but it's also pretty funny because it's like right. they're, they're like Spinal Tap kind of parody. So it's just there's not one bad song on there. It's solid rock. It shows you that how they were just really, uh, really, <clears throat> you could just really tell how much potential was going to happen with mm-hmm. those guys. I mean, what I it it, it it it's a it's a fantastic rock album. It's a fantastic record. And then you could just tell that, man, these guys, I, I, I need to get this next record. Uh-huh. Because what's that going to be like? And all they needed was just a little bit more behind the board to, to sharpen up the sound a little bit, a little bit more time uh, together to, to, to write, to really fine-tune those songs. And, of course, the payoff is, is, is incredible, mm-hmm. incredible with Soundgarden. Absolutely. But you know, this was just the beginning, and you could really tell. You could really tell that this was just the beginning for that band. And of course, if you had to pick one thing for the album to remember, of course, it's, it's Chris Cornell's voice, where you're like, "Holy shit, this yeah. this guy is the real Holy deal. Cow. This guy's yeah. multi octave range. I mean, just right. hit the hit those high notes, and then to get those that certainly baritone, the mix that he did of both those styles. And I gotta tell you, of all the people that we've lost. From the whole Seattle scene, it's been so many. Yeah. I mean, you got Kirk Cobain, you got Lane Staley, who both right. celebrated anniversaries for dying on the same date over different years, which is crazy to me. That's so weird right. how they both died on the same date, even yeah. though they were different years. But Chris Cornell, for me, really kind of hurts the worst because he seemed like the guy that kind of had it together. It was still yeah. still doing uh, yeah exactly still doing stuff still sounded great. I saw him a few years prior with on the Nine Inch Nails tour with with him and Soundgarden, and they sounded fantastic. Uh, 
wish I'd seen that now. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it really, it just really bums me out because I mean I I hear his songs and I actually get sad listening to him just because I'm like this guy. Yeah. You know, but then you hear songs like "Like Suicide" and "Fell on Black Days" and "The Day I Tried to Live" and it has this whole extra like layer of of just sadness to it because you realize you know, this was a depressed guy. He was. He just for a right. while navigated it better. And I think he got on some bad well, meds, and, and he just kind of took I a... I got to tell you, for, for me, those songs just were uh, not not that... He, I didn't feel like at, at that point that he was speaking from a personal stance. Yeah, it was all metaphors. I, and... I, I thought he was just feeding in part of the... I mean, lyrically in, into the genre. I mean, th- there... Like when it comes to which I'm sure we'll we'll talk a little about in in just a little bit, but like I don't think Robert Smith is that depressed, you know. His his songs are are dark and <laughs> there's not a lot of hope there. Mm-hmm. But I never really saw Robert Smith as a person that suffered from so much crushing anxiety or depression. Yeah, that he would like, and so, you know, you know, hearing about Chris Cornell being just as as hurt as he was, it 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 that hurts me. Yeah, it was because he he was he was one of us. He was more one of us, I think, than a, like Elaine Staley. You know, I, I, I that's that's how I feel about it. He was just. You know, he was just a guy that had, you know, he's married, he had kids, and, you know, yeah, he, I he, had no idea that he was he was in such such internal pain. Because because I mean, you, basically, you figure if if a if a rock singer gets out of his twenties and he's into his thirties and moves on, you know, and as he matures, he's like, okay, he, he's he's escaped that trap. He's escaped the trap of right. of, of of you know dying exactly. di- of dying young of of these things happening. You know, because Cobain and Staley died, you know, when they were very young. Staley is also one that gets yeah. me because he was so amazingly talented. But, you know, right. all these guys, you know, but um, Chris Cornell was kind of like, he was also kind of like a a buffer zone. You know, he was he was one of the guys who did tributes to Andrew Wood, did tributes to Cobain right. and Staley. He was just very much like an ambassador, and he kind of felt like he was all above it all. Like, he had it all together. He was like, you know, in the Eddie Vedder camp where they were like kind of like the older older brothers to the younger guys. Right. They and, made it, like you said. They made it. Yeah, and they, then they, they survived that 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 period. And and then and just, here we are. And then to have it happen <laughs> like this just seems just all the crueler. But yeah, louder yeah. than louder than love. Great album. Louder than love. Great record. I, I just love it. I, I still I still dig it, and even though it makes me bummed out, I still listen to it because it's great. Yeah. So where else, where should we head to next? Oh, let's see what. That I have. My list keeps going away. Um, why don't we get happy for a little bit? All right. <laughs> hey, how, how how about a little a uh, little bit of uh, Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique? There we go. The antithesis of, of depressing now rock. That's, that's a happy record. That's a happy record, right? <laughs> Is it? Uh, you know, at, at well, at, at the time though. What a sad record for them because it flopped. It yeah. was not. Yeah. It was not licensed to ill. And you want to talk about people turning their backs on them. 
I mean, I did. I heard "Hey Ladies." So I'm like, I, oh, I, like I don't know what this is. I was like, I'll be honest. I'm 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 almost part of that crowd too. It took me, it took me so long to understand and feel that record because of everything that I got from them off that first record. Which you know, that's another. That's that's just a that's a mindless, great, fun record. Oh, I love that's my, still my, still my favorite. Even though they they went they got so much deeper and, and more complex afterwards. Right, but after. Gosh, I, I, I'm not even sure how long it took me to really comprehend what was going on with this album. But Paul's Boutique, I, I, I can I can turn around and say that's probably probably my favorite record from them. Um, such such a disappointment initially at first, but there's so much going on there, uh, you know. And if, if you try to make that record today. It would cost you millions of dollars. Oh yeah, millions, just because of all the samples used on it, and being able to get 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 the rights to all the bits that they did. Um, I think it was really the Dust Brothers who who had they were they, they were the producers of that album, and so the the Dust Brothers basically had all these kind of mashups that they were doing, and the Beastie Boys kind of just went in and listened to what they had and laid laid their own work over their work. And so, I mean, that that kind of shows you a little bit of, uh, a, a, a little bit of genius of the Dust Brothers who, you know, th- those guys were pretty amazing for that, for that time. You know, I, 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 I think it's, it is, and I, I've seen it labeled as the Sergeant Peppers of hip hop. And, I, I, I'm I'm okay with that label. I mean, just because of everything that's going on in that record, you know. Let me get to my my list of of what was on it because, you know, in these days of of uh, track one or two or whatever it is, man, it, it, it's been so long since I've I've I've, <laughs> mm-hmm. I've paid attention to the the tracks, but. Uh, Shake your rump. Oh yeah, man! What a fun song. I mean, that 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 would that should have been that should have been your 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 poolside song from what was that 1989 until now. Just a fun, just hanging out. Eggman was fantastic. High Plains Drifter. And, you know what's cool is the uh, the uh, uh, the Wikipedia will list all the samples that they did on each song. And it's just stupid. <laughs> it's just dumb. Well, I mean, all I gotta all say, any, any, any album that samples the Psycho theme has got my stamp of approval. I mean, I don't remember what track that <laughs> right? was on, but I remember that Psycho theme just part of the, ee, ee, ee. I'm like, that's genius right there. That was fantastic. Right. I, and, and you know what? I couldn't tell you exactly which one it is, but I, I, I think it's, it's a record that was such a labor of love for them. Um, I, I, I need to get the uh, Beastie Boys book to delve in a little bit more, or uh, actually the audio book. Have you heard about that? The no, I, I have not. So it, it, it has, it has um, actual celebrities like Chuck D's on it. Um, Rachel Maddow. <laughs> oh, wow. Reads. Yeah. So, and I, I think this is starting to become a trend. Uh, with some of the audio books, but um, 
Will Ferrell does a chapter. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I've heard a couple of clips from from some of it, but um, it's them reading the book, and I, I, I need to get in and, and find. Actually, I just need to buy it like that so I can listen to it. But uh, I, I, I need to dig a little deeper on on what they were going through because I mean, you know, they're under that sophomore sophomore record pressure. Sophomore slump. You know, yeah. And that's exactly what it ended up being. But it is such such a beloved record now. That, mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I, I, I still need that record. Yeah, it really. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be pull side with me this year. I can tell you that. I mean, you you know, you list the greatest hip hop albums. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely on there, and it's definitely yeah. You know, and it. And it really set the stage, you know, for when they did come back. You know, they had a major comeback with with uh, with uh, check your head. You know, there was a lot of the yeah. influence on, on their translated to check your head. It was kind of a more rock oriented return to that. There still was the weird flourishes, you know, that 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 Paul Boutique, Paul's boutique had. And I think it's yeah. worth worth mentioning too that the Dust Brothers, although they were never like you know household names, they they carried a lot of of cachet and. and with a lot of producers because the chemical brothers who have a new album out this month, which I'm dying to check out. I need to check out on Spotify. Because, oh yeah. Cause I, I, Same. I hate when I miss albums coming out and I don't have a chance to review them. Cause I get so wrapped up in other stuff. So this just came out, it came out of nowhere, but they yeah. actually almost got in a lawsuit because they called themselves the dust brothers when they came out. They were such fans, which is right. just kind of weird. They would do that. But that's why they became the chemical brothers because the dust brothers were like, you got to change your names, dude. Cause that's stupid. Right. So they did and became, Stars, stars, stars in their own right. The Kimball Brothers are, are a great, great duo. But I don't, you know, they were obviously very influenced by the Dust Brothers. Who have done, you know, they did the Fight Club soundtrack, which is great. Right. I mean, which is that, yeah, that's really good. But so, yeah, so their production is just, it's huge. It's they did a fantastic job on that, and I am glad it, it eventually got its its due, as is often yeah. the case with albums. Against, and it's, it's just a freaking, it, it's a fun record, man. It really is, you know. Uh, if you want to dig into lyrical content and talk about, you know, how introspective it, it may have been, it's not. No. <laughs> I don't think it is. I, I just don't think – it's just it's just still three dudes from Queens. I think they were from Queens. Um, man, that's going to kick me in the ass if, if, if they're not. I'll just say New York City held that. Um, there you go. But three guys, three guys from NYC that were just having a great time still – Still trying to, um, I think they were still trying to kind of recover from some of the, uh, the 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 punk roots and that that flash of fandom uh, that they received from License to Ill. You know, they, they were like, we need to do something a little different, and so they did. And this record is is certainly uh, it, it's a it's a fantastic recovery, even though that we just realized that some. Um, in, in some cases, for for some people, thirty years later. And what was a that? Fantastic record, though. Three three minute rule was that the song where MCA says "sucking your mother's dick." Was that? <laughs> 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 I mean, there, there you go. There, there, there you go. Yeah, people come up to me and they try to talk shit. Man, I was making records when you were sucking your mother's dick. I mean, there you go. There you right. go. That's that. That's a couplet that, right. that you'll never that you'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you're you're we're talking about a hip hop album with psychedelic influences and the 
Sergeant Peppers, I don't think there could be a more perfect segue to another major hip hop release of of that year. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. De-, De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. Which God. I mean, you talk about a great album. You talk about an album that just like changed the rules early on about what hip hop could be. I mean, here you go. Yeah. I mean, these guys were sampling Sesame Street records. They had sampling the Turtles, sampling all you know, uh, all these fifties doo wop songs and and sixty psychedelia. I mean, they they you know they made something that was so unique. And so much fun. Yeah. It was just, it was like almost like a childlike way to make a hip hop album. You know, you had songs like Me, Myself, and I. Then you had The Magic Number, right. a little bit of soap, and just the weird kind of mythos that they would do. Like, like talking about, what was it True, True Goy needs a haircut? I mean, just real, such weird, random <laughs> stuff. Pasta Noose needs another haircut. I mean, just really weird, but so, just so, so much fun. And that kind of showed right. a, a different, yeah. a different side of hip hop that, you know, other groups would definitely, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, PM Dawn or Tribe Called Quest, yeah. it, very influential on, on the on those on those groups as far as as far as their, their style. Yeah, I, I, because th- this is this is a great era right here, where um, besides the creativity and being able to sample what the Beastie Boys did, but being the original content and and having that sort of jazz influence. Um, because there's a lot of that going on, you know, and, and De La Soul, I think was really, was really at the forefront of that, you know, Tribe Called Quest might, might be a close second, but, uh, those guys, you want to talk about real cool and smooth records. (laughs) There's, there's barely, there's barely any others that, that would, would fit in that category. I'm tribe tribe had, 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 uh, a, some of the closest, but three feet high and rise is such a man. That's such a major, major record. And I mean, did has anybody else ever sampled Steely Dan on a hip hop album? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these guys they were just like we're doing our own thing. We're you know. We're... I gotta tell you, I I think the if, if if there was only other one band that would have, it would have been Tribe. Mm-hmm. I, I mean that that would have been it. You know. And I, I've I've gone through my my, my flashes over the last because um, I got to tell you whenever I, whenever I get on an, an airplane I listen to Tribe Called Quest <laughs> I don't know what it is but there's something about about hitting that and I I, I need to put three feet high and rising on on that rotation whenever I get on the plane uh, just because I love that sound there's something about jet life <laughs> mm-hmm. and that smooth. Uh, you know that smooth uh, hip hop sound that that happens, and uh, I, I I feel bad for not including them. Um, but man, yeah, I mean, I I, I think you're you you may be right though, Steely Dan. That could have been it. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was for that song. I know, which is a, a taken. I know you. I, I love know. you. I love you better from, from 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 Peg by by uh, Steely Dan. I mean, then you have like. Things like Jennifer taught me Darwin's Revenge, Ghetto Thing, Potholes in My Lawn, yeah, Plug Tuning, Potholes in My Lawn. I mean, all, it's all great stuff, and you know, it was so influential and so uh, unique that you know, it was. I'm reading here; it was actually selected by the Library of Congress as a 2010 addition to the National Recording Registry for being culturally significant. So that tells you, you know, that yeah. it. But yeah, 
but you talk, we're talking about how the cult were just unafraid to change from album to album. De La Soul really, you know, they kind of abandoned yeah. all this stuff for De La Soul is dead for their second album, which is a really weird album. And I, and I think it's, it actually has a lot of good stuff on there, but it definitely isn't as good as this. But I mean, they were pretty, they were, they weren't afraid to shake things up even, you know, so they were not, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, huge. And, well, and, and, I was I was just going to say real quick that the the hip hop community was so everybody was trying so hard, <laughs> you know. Uh, th- th- there was a lot of competition, and so I think they wanted to be part of, of of what what was happening on the charts, and so being able to to move move around just as freely as De La Soul could, you know. Public Enemy could. Public Enemy had one one sound and there's nothing wrong with that because they they were they did that sound you know pitch perfectly Mm -hmm. but de la soul gave gave themselves enough room to make make things happen and so being able to to do what they did you know uh, it's well gosh they were so good i need to go back i need to go back and and listen to more de la soul Man, and I think Good memories, man. <laughs> yeah, gr- gr- great memories. I may drive around that. I had that cassette. I wore that cassette out until it, till actually the tape snapped, and then I bought it on CD because I played it. I played what? it. I played. I played it that much. But uh-huh. you know, a good transition from that. We're talking about a, a new band at the time. Uh, you know, embarking on 60s psychedelia and seventies soul. There was another urban artist that year that that made quite a splash. His name was Lenny Kravitz, and you listed his album "Let Love Rule" on your picks. So when we yeah. d- delve into delve into that, man, I gotta tell you, um, I, man, Lenny Kravitz for me. I mean, look, going back and 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 hearing some artists that that would kind of do the throwback to um, the 60s and 70s soul or the psychedelic stuff. You know, you could find those all over the place. But whenever I heard Let Love Rule, <laughs> or actually I think the first song I heard from him was Mr. Cab Driver. Mm-hmm. And there, there was, there was something, something going on in that song, you know, with, with, um, that social consciousness yep. about being discriminated as, as a young black man with dreads. <laughs> um, but th- there was, there was a lot of, uh, I felt like there was a lot of story being told in his songs. And that's what I, that's what I really liked about Lenny Kravitz. It was not just, the songwriting ability. I felt like there were, there were stories going on there, personal um, personal moments that he he was putting in, and you know, being able to say "let love rule" is 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 a pretty generic term, a pretty generic way to go through it. But I got to tell you that that record for me was such a highlight of 1989. That's great. I loved that record. Loved it and loved how it incorporated um, kind of what some of the um, the hip hop guys were doing with 
being able to bring dialogue to the table on on their experiences, but he he brought it in in a way that was so different, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of something else that was on there. Oh, does anybody out there even uh, even care? Mm-hmm. That was another one. Sitting on top of the world. Of course, Let Love Rule. Um, I built this garden for us. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of love in this record. There's a lot of, hey, let's talk about this. It, it's not confrontational at all. It is just, hey, let's be able to sit down and work through it all together. And I, I, I really liked I really liked the, the dialogue that Lenny Kravitz was was starting with this album. You know, it, 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 it's still it's still a, a, a record that I fall back on um, thinking about thinking about 30 years ago. <laughs> wow. Well, see, you're talking about how you want to dive back into De La Soul. You're. What you're making me feel is diving back into this album because it was I'm, I listened to a lot yeah. back then, but I've kind of forgotten about. But yeah, every track, I mean, you know, even the bonus tracks, "Flower Child," great, yeah, "Flower Child," yeah. Ro- "Rosemary," and and it's it's worth mentioning that, that Lenny Kravitz didn't come out. Of, he had a very interesting kind of introduction. Uh, first off, he came from uh, you know he came from a showbiz background. He he was half mm-hmm. Jewish, half black. His his dad was a right was a TV producer, if I recall, or, or maybe a music producer. But his mom played, she was on the Jeffersons. She was a character on the Jeffersons. Oh, on the Jeffersons, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, she, she played the wife of, of the Jeffersons' uh, neighbors. And and so you know, he, he kind of came from that. He started dating Lisa Bonet, and he used to call himself Romeo Blue. Do you remember that? Before he before he, no. <laughs> before he came back to Lenny Kravitz, it was Romeo Blue. And they were like, who is this guy? He was like seen around with Lisa Bonet everywhere and – yeah, Bill Cosby didn't want him on the set and all this kind of stuff. He was just kind of like this bad influence. Right. And then he comes out and you're like, okay, this guy's got some things to say. And, you know, yeah, Let Love Rule is just, it's a definitely a 60 throwback, but it's a good one. I think for my money, yeah. it's, it's, I think he never did an album as good as this. Uh, you know, he's had great hits here and there since then and great tracks, but nothing has been as consistent as this first album for, for, for my money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And something that's weird to me, we were talking about the pump up the volume centric while ago, but there's a track, my favorite track off A Little of Rule is B, which is kind of this like very 70s oh, yes. kind of chill. So, but yes. what's, what's weird though is if you listen to the pump up the volume soundtrack, there is a track called Why Can't I Fall in Love uh, by Ivan Neville. If you play those songs, right, yeah. play those songs back to back, there's so many similarities. And I almost wonder if somebody maybe ripped off Lenny on that because. It's you, if you listen back to back, there's really, but you know, of course, Lenny was very wasn't afraid of like stealing riffs here and there. But it's just it's just interesting to hear the similarities. They're very similar uh, compositions. But yeah, yeah, strong, strong album. Uh, it's I'm, a strong album. I I, and, and I, I will say that uh, Mama said, I know it's supposed to be a sophomore slump record. I, I, I guarantee you, I will talk about it <laughs> the next time we, we we let's see. I'm trying to think what year, what year was Mama said? That was, was maybe ninety one. Yeah, geez. yeah, it was. Yeah, that, that was a great that was a great I, track. I love that record. I I, I love I love the Mama said record. There were there was a, there was a lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff on that one. But um, Let Love Rule, where it all begins for him, man. Go get it if you don't have it. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely definitely solid. 
and I guess I don't have like a clear transition for this, but I guess since we're talking about <laughs> since we've been talking about hip hop and and soul and all that kind of thing, let's let's talk into one of the major fusion albums of 1989. And this was the year that the real thing came out by Faith No More, and oh yeah, and the real thing basically served as as a platform to introduce the world to to the band and and, <clears throat> and Mike Patton, who. Uh, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's so hard for so many bands to change singers. I mean, they, they, it can be done, but it's, it's a rarity. But Faith and More had the luxury had the luxury of getting a new singer before they really had made it big. They had a hit with We Care a Lot a few years back with with Chuck Mosley, who yeah. I actually interviewed. I interviewed. I'm the last guy I interviewed him before he passed away, which oh is my gosh, which are is you really which is crazy. I mean, I I feel so, wow. so I feel so fortunate to have talked to him because he was a really sweet guy, and it's just. Wow. Really, really sad, but he had his demons, and his reason he left the band was because he had his demons, and they, yeah. they, they just they couldn't work yeah. with him at the time, so they got Mike Patton. And the real thing came wow. out like a just came out like a shot in the arm, you know? You're like, you know, Epic was if you had to name one song that was kind of indicative of that year, I mean, there's there's several, but if, if you did a top ten, let's say, Epic was definitely on that list for being so so fresh at the time, you know. I mean, now yeah, now it yeah. sounds very dated and rap rock. You know, you know it, it it happened before this. They obviously they did it with Run DMC and Aerosmith and 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 all that. But Epic really kind of showed that you know it was this weird hodgepodge that could exist with an alternative rock. You know, Beastie Boys you could say yeah. did it too on License to Ill. But True. it also showed just what a weird band they are. Because what I loved about the real thing is that Mike Patton. He had this very interesting idea of songwriting, which is instead of singing like "I Love You, Baby" and and songs that were like you know very heartfelt, he was like, "No, no, no, I'm I'm not about that. I just want to sing." But what I'm going to do is every song will be about like a little movie. It'll be from a different perspective. So you've got "Edge of the World," which is about a child molester. It's really creepy. You listen to it now, it's like Ugh. you got "Underwater Love," which is about <laughs> which is about drowning somebody that that you're that you're obsessed with. You've got "Surprise, You're Dead," which is about being a vampire. You got zombie eaters, which is told from the perspective of of a of an infant needing attention from from, from their parents. It's very it's a really cool like a really cool uh, approach to songwriting, I think. And I think Patton gets so much love for his vocal range because he's one of the best singers of our generation and, and of all time. His his vocal range is unmatched. I mean, he's in that Chris Cornell camp, you know, of just being so powerful that I think his songwriting gets a little bit his lyrics get a little bit overlooked. And I think that he's a pretty cool lyricist. But all those tracks are awesome. You know, the album opens up with From Out of Nowhere, which is a great, great opening track. I mean, it just gets you totally into the moment. You know, like this guy, these guys are, are in it for, you know, for real. Um, But, you know, they would go on to do so much better stuff. You know, it's like Angel Dust to me was really, yeah. they really came into their own. Because this first album, you have to get past the fact that for a guy with such a great voice... He was obsessed with keeping it to this, like, real nasally, why? Everything he sings, like, you know, like, right. a, falling to pieces. It's really weird. And it was driving the producer yeah. crazy because he's like, God damn it. Mike, you got this great vocal instrument. You sound like this, like, adenoidal twerp. You know, stop doing that. And and Mike Patton, being the weirder that he is, just kept <laughs> kept doing it more just to annoy everybody. Um, but right. even still, Epic was huge. Uh, falling to pieces was huge. But it's, it's a really yep. – it's just a – good album i mean i think faith no more were like one of my favorite bands of the 90s but they really got their start in the late 80s and uh you know it's just the production is great it 
so many indelible images from that band. You think about the video for the epic video, you know, I mean, just that poor fish, <laughs> that poor flopping fish. No, no fish, no fish was harmed in this making of this video. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, and he yeah, listened. And, and it, it really is, it really is the, the, the mainstream introduction for this band. I mean, honestly, it, it, it almost took this, this record a, a year to, as they say, get legs. Mm-hmm. Almost a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time that Epic hits, you know, a, a, a few months later, it, it, a, after its release, they, they really didn't hit a stride. And then of course they were on some, some major tours to and, help, help them out even more. And, and of course you're live. I, I, I've actually not been able to see them live at this point, which I need to take care of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're, they're, they're great live. They but, really are. And especially now, since they have so, I mean, because you know, with, with with this album itself, it it really is just it, it it's just a hint into what the mind of Mike Patton is like. Mm-hmm. It really is, and, you know, the real you know the whole real thing record. That's that's just the 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 bottom left hand little you know, one centimeter by one centimeter part of it. You know, for me, he, he's been able to work with artists that, that I completely adore. And this record was just that first block into it. And then it just grew so much, you know, by the time that, uh, you know, if you bring it up to even, you know, just, just today in, in, in 2019, he's been able to work with, um, one of my favorite artists, John Zorn. Mm-hmm. He's worked with Buzz from the Melvins mm-hmm. uh, with his Phantomus project. Bjork. But there's so much there's so much creativity going on that this was just a touch on it. And as, as genre bending, which is you know kind of I, I guess a, a theme really for them because they all seem like they were heavy metal guys and they had that flash, but they could do they could do um, the Commodores. I mean, think about the doing, it, them doing easy. And and not just do them, but do it almost note for note perfectly. Do, I mean, beautifully. I mean, to 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 be as good almost as the original, you know. Well, maybe maybe some people will, will email you about that one. <laughs> but, yeah, but I I, um, I I I will agree with that. I I say it's better. Yeah. For my my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, being able to, and, and and they're not they're not doing those songs out of cheekiness or anything like yeah. that. They're doing them because they love those songs, and and that's that's what I've, that's what I've always appreciated about Faith No More. The diversity that's going on as far as influence for them. It can be some from Flying Family Stone to Black Sabbath. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it's like I mean they're just a strange band, you know. I mean, not many rock bands have have a synth player. I mean, some do, but it's not it's not super common. You know, that made them different. Roddy Bottoms' keyboard is really good. Mike Borden, right. Mike Borden is a monster of a drummer. I mean, he's worked with so many right. different people. He's played with Ozzy and everybody else. Right. I mean, that guy's amazing. Jim Martin was the weirdo of the group. He never really quite got along with people, but his riffs are are great. Billy Gould's bass playing, you know, and they often get lumped into right. the, to the Chili Peppers. And Anthony Kiedis famously hates them. But I'm like, I'm sorry, yeah. dude. Mike Patton gets your rings around your ass, buddy. I'm sorry if I get if I get if I yeah, got to pick between yeah. you and the 
Chili Peppers and Faith No More. I'm going Faith No More every time. I'm not even going to like have to second guess it. So yeah, me neither. And they were just they're more multidimensional than the Chili Peppers are. They just did more different things. Uh, yeah, they're just they're just great. And the real thing is a great introduction. The title track is really awesome. I mean, just an epic like six minute yeah. slog of just you know just just shows you the range because that was actually the first single was the real thing. That's the first one I remember, which is a weird single because it's like so damn long. You know, it's like it shows you how weird they are that they would go with that. And so, but Epic was, of course, the one that made them big, even though it was maybe the least representative of their sound, which is kind of crazy because they really, with yeah. Angel Dust, they totally moved away from that and did something totally different. And that's to me their best album, but they kept doing cool things. So, yeah, the real thing. Yeah. Real thing is the real thing. What can you say? It is. It is. It is, <laughs> it is great. Where should we go to next? Let's see. Well, why don't we? I mean, speaking of a of a band that kind of came out of out of nowhere, pun intended, that changed things. Why don't we move on to one that you picked, which is the Stone Roses, whose debut was that, massive. Yeah, I, it was massive, and actually, I, I think we're pretty pretty much just on the cusp of its thirty year anniversary. Um, I think it came out in May. It was one of those bands that 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 came out of that now infamous infamously known Madchester scene mm-hmm. where the 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 mix between um gosh what was going on I mean so much I mean like R and B and and just the the R and B dance beat was going on and Happy Mondays Yeah Charlatans the, you know, the, the, the sounds yeah Charlatans the, which they were they were a favorite of mine back then too but if you really want to talk about an epicenter, this the Stone Roses Stone Roses record is 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 really is really just where it it really starts, you know. And and and, a, and from a, the time and a precursor to Britpop as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it it was it was it 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 really it really started to um, make make the sound for what was to happen. For everything that came out over the next, gosh, I mean, I'm not sure if it's even stopped. Honestly, there's <laughs> there's been so much that you could go back, and I, I think nowadays, if you have that those those new bands that are starting to come out of the UK, um, they'll they'll go, this is this would be like their Nevermind. Almost, mm-hmm. it is. You know that they would go back and go. You know what? I heard I want to be adored. Which is my on favorite the radio when I was like my hey. favorite my favorite song by then. And I knew that I wanted to do that. And I, boy, I tell you what, I can't blame them because that is a incredible song. It's it's subtle and so dynamic all at the same time, mm-hmm. and so dreamy sounding. You know, and... such, right, there's such. There's really such little out, um, output from the Stone Roses because I think they actually only did like what two or three records. Mm-hmm. There was this one, Second Coming, and I'm trying to struggle with if, if there was another one. I don't know if there was. If, um, if there was, it would have been on the recent I, reunion, which I don't think that. Yeah, they... well, I mean, somewhere between some of the the, the comps that they put out because their their B sides were really good uh, as well. They they could have been really counted as as part of, you know, part of this introduction to them. But you go back and you listen to, um, 
this first album of theirs, and it is it, it, it's still such a highlight uh, from 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 the UK. Things started to turn again for them, you know, moving out of their uh, Beatlemania within a sense, and and bring a little bit more of that underground '60s pop sound mm-hmm. within a sense. Fool, fool's uh, gold, another major. Fool's gold. She bangs the drums. Uh, Waterfall. I am the resurrection. All of those. I mean, there's there's tons of singles off this record. I think there were only twelve tracks on it. It's like, it's almost like the 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 control Janet Jackson's control, mm-hmm. where there were like eight eight singles off of a ten track album <laughs> or something like that. But there there's so much on this that you can just eat up, love it. Um, I'm trying to think. If the single, the B-side, there was a B-side called Sally Cinnamon, and I, I think it was on this session, but I can't remember yeah. if that was released well, this on is, well, this is cra- anniversary or something like that. This is crazy. I'm looking at, at the Wikipedia page for this album, and Fool's Go wasn't even on the UK. It was only on the US release as a bonus track. No, yeah, it was only on the U. yes. Yeah, which is, because, which but, is nuts. <laughs> That's one of their biggest yeah. hits. It was it was just a UK single, and by the time that it was released here, um, I think RCA Silvertone slash Silvertone were the the uh, distributors of it here in the states. It it had already been around in the UK for darn near four or five months at that point, and by the time it picked up here, they'd already released Fool's Gold, and yeah, I mean. Tremendous, tremendous. And then they absolutely just a, a, a great record. If you don't have it, go get it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's one of those albums that you know albums for before you yeah. die kind of a thing. You got you gotta you gotta have some roses in your collection if you're if you're into the alternative rock and British music and all that kind of stuff. If you're an Anglophile, you need to have this one or at least check it out and get your take on it. And let's be honest, it's the only Stone Roses record that you need. Yep. I was look, I was looking at their discography, too. They never came out with a third album. The second one was Second Coming, which was basically the yeah. second, second okay. coming of Led Zeppelin. It was basically, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, that was that was that was a trash record. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not 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 that great. Um, I still I still have that part. Was in, not. In, remember in Shaun of the Dead where they were throwing albums at the zombies and they were like uh, debating whether to throw a second coming. Cause one was like saying it was great. One was saying it wasn't. It was awesome. But yeah, def- definitely stone roses. Now uh, this, I- I'm going to transition to another album from that same kind of scene. It's nowhere near as revered as stone roses, but I think okay. at the time, I think it was great. And that would be Jesus Jones liquidizer, which came out that year. <laughs> And I think I thought that just. <laughs> go I, ahead, go I, I thought Liquidizer was it was a really solid record in my personal opinion, and it came out as a very fresh. They were doing some really weird stuff. Uh, they had a lot of you know Public Enemy samples and and you know definitely yes. doing the the very similar kind of Beastie Boys thing as far as all the different sounds. It was kind of industrial. It was kind of Manchester. It was kind of dance rock. Uh, the vocals were very unique. Uh, it was heavy, but it was very poppy at the same time. Um, I think it was much more memorable and, and more interesting than, than EMF, which were kind of a contemporary of theirs and not nearly as good, but they, they were more popular. Yeah. 
But I thought Jesus Jones, I thought they were a good band, you know, is that they haven't really held up over the years. You don't really hear much from them, except if you listen on alternative rock radio, you'll hear uh, right here, right now, which is like one of their weakest songs. But, uh, you know, I think uh, Never Enough is great. Info Freako, there's all sorts of good stuff on that thing. And, and um, you know, they were, they were also kind of in that same scene with Pop Will Eat Itself and The Wonder Stuff. That was another kind of little scene going on around that oh, same okay. time. So they were kind of oh. involved with those guys. Um Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine is a whole weird thing, but I thought Jesus Jones, <laughs> I thought they were a fun group, you know, and, they, and even their their second album, Doubt, was a good the third album uh, with a track, The Devil You Know, Perverse. That was, you know, they had some good stuff. Uh, now they, I don't, I think now they play corporate retreats and stuff. <laughs> Once I'm here a while back, so their stars faded. <laughs> I don't know if you have many thoughts on Jesus Jones, Liquidizer, but I thought I'd just throw that in there as a, well, as, as a fun album. I, I, I will say I was like, Michael picked Liquidizer. <laughs> I don't remember it being, I mean, for, you know, because for me, it was right here, right now. And uh, what was the, what was the other single? Uh, um, it was Never Enough. I don't, um, Never Enough, maybe. Um, and I was like, do I need to go back and listen to that again? I mean, it's, it, you know, it's been like 30 years. I, it was it it was all over it was all over um, alternative radio you know uh, the edge had already started around here at that point and right here right now was all over the place yeah that was off there. it was such a huge hit and mm-hmm. I you know I'm sure they played um, plenty of our um, um, edge music fests you know you know those radio sponsored festival things. And this is a record that I feel like after after your lauding it, I need to go back and listen to because I was I I, I remember being a fan of um, Pop Elite itself and mm-hmm. actually Card Card Sex Machine. I kind of remember them, even though I couldn't tell you a song. Ned's Atomic <laughs> Dustbin, and, all those kind of groups. Stuff. Yeah, uh, all those kind of like they were so mashed up. There were so many different things going on. Those, those UK bands were just silly. Mm-hmm, there's so many of them. They they would incorporate they would incorporate so many different sounds, and and, and just and, and just defy everything that was going on. And, and if Americans were doing that, they would just have been laughed off and been and told that they were just a silly band and move on. But in the UK, you had the freedom to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their and, their description here on their on a all music page, saying their genres: alternative dance, alternative rock, techno, industrial, dance punk, alternative hip hop. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff for one band to be associated with. You know, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, especially for 1989. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a burden. That's Judson, a burden, honestly. Yeah, Judson got me into them. By the way, he was the one that introduced me to Jesus. Jones, oh so. wow! Oh yeah. wow! Yeah. Yeah, so, hey Judson. <laughs> yeah, hey Judson. Give you a shout out. Maybe listen to this now. Yeah, so not no need to go into great detail about Jesus Jones, but I thought they were solid. I think they've kind of unfairly forgotten. And yeah, they're a fun album. If you like dance, alternative rock, and some industrial and some hip hop influences, you could do a lot worse than checking out Liquidizer. That's probably true. <laughs> but you know what you you know what I think we should go to next, and and this is going to put it on you again though. Is from from this this side of it. Let's 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 flip on the dark side 
and go to Nine Inch Nails Pretty Hate Machine. You were, you were, we were in, in, we were in sync on that. I was you, you, perfectly. Yeah, perfectly. yeah. But let's Nine Inch Nails, uh, Pretty Hate Machine. They came out of nowhere, or should I say, Trent Reznor came out of nowhere with this album that yeah. was so fully formed and so. I mean, basically, what Trent Reznor did was take the template of like Ministry and Skinny Puppy, all these bands that were very just awesome groups, but they they were kind of hard to uh, to. Uh, there was there was definitely a, a. I mean, Ministry had some some mainstream success, but they were never going to be like a huge band because they were just yeah. so so aggressive. And, you know, not a whole lot of melody. Reznor found a way to, like, mix, like, stuff like Prince and Jane's Addiction kind of styles with, with with industrial. And he made something very unique. I mean, had like a whole, nothing sounded like it at the time. He had, and right. he had, he had the sense of drama. I mean, a track like Something I Can Never Have is just one of the best breakup songs of all time. It's just, it's so, just the mood of it. It's and it also shows you there shows you that he can do melody. You know he's not all about just just the aggression. Uh, you have terrible lie down in it. I mean it goes on and on and on. Uh, and and I think Pretty Hate Machine was kind of in the same boat as the real thing, and that it came out and didn't get a lot of exposure really until they played on Lollapalooza. And once they did that, it kind of had this like second life where it kind of came back stronger yeah. in 1991. Than it did in 1990, I, although uh, 89. Although I remember when my friends got me into it in the summer of 89, I'm like, these guys are great. And I was, you know, I had no idea it was like yeah. a, a one man show. Although I am so glad that they did that remaster a few years ago because the problem I had with Pretty Hate Machine after after you listen to Broken or or uh, the Fragile or Down with Spiral was that it sounded so thin by comparison. You really had to crank it up and barely hear it. Now they added bass and it sounds really good. You can crank it up loud. And they did a really good remaster. If you haven't heard that, I recommend everybody to do that. It's a much so- stronger thing. I think there's some production issues. I know Trent Reznor hated his label, and there was fighting over some stuff to get the master track. But anyways, yeah. did a great remaster. But I mean, what else can you say? I mean, those guys, you know, it was uh, the the way he was able to to make it kind of poppy, but still have a hard edge. Like a, a perfect example of that is like Sin is a great example of how he could make something that was so hooky, so catchy. Be yet still really hard, you know. Um, right. And you know, it was. It kind of introduced the world to Trent Reznor and what a singular talent he was. He had this very strange, uh, you know, nasal voice. Uh, he came out of like of like Idaho or or Iowa or, or, or <laughs> so, someplace Iowa. or Pennsylvania. Oh, uh, oh, uh, he was. Uh, what what uh, I'm Ohio, wasn't he? Ohio, that's it, that's it. So he came out of the yeah. Midwest. You know, he wasn't like some you know Chicago uh, wax tracks dude. He wasn't somebody from the UK. He came out of you know the Midwest, and he just did his own thing. And you know, he became one of the biggest ambassadors and icons of the '90s. But it all started in '89. He's from Pennsylvania, by the way. In Pennsylvania, okay. So, my bad. So my bad. I, I think he. I think he was in Ohio. I think he moved. At we'll get to the bottom of this one these days, but 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 one, yeah, one day we will. <laughs> but he also this used is a, this. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, 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 no. You go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say this is such a singularly um, incredible record for the fact that it 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 took that and and. Once again, that bleak sound of industrial, 
and crossed it over to a mainstream crowd. Now, it, it, it's another one of those records, I think, that it, it didn't really hit for another year. Uh, that was, you know, that's a theme that you can go along with, with a lot of these records, you know, like like the Faith No More Real Thing album. Um, but uh, it, it, it takes a little while for it to get a little bit of traction and get to the right people that that are just, they're looking and thirsting for something different. You know, they're, they're they're looking for something that sounds fresh, and this certainly was to them because they hadn't found – they hadn't been able to find something like ministry on, on – you know, in their local record shops. Or it was in such limited, you know, limited uh, ways of being able to access it. So um, I, I know that he, he played here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area darn near three or four times uh, just on that record for at least uh, a year and a half, uh, at least in that span. But it, it, that record was tremendously huge here. Uh, it, it, it was a it was a bestseller at in every single year that, that I was, that I was peddling records to kids. There was somebody new. There was a, a, a 14-year-old that would find out about a Pretty Hate Machine and eat it up. There were 20-somethings that were coming back and getting their second or third copy because they lost the other one or, or they just scratched the heck out of it. You know, it's that record. It, it was it was like Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, and I, and I think... I mean, that's exactly, that, that's the only way that I can put it is that it was like like a dark side of the moon where you bought it multiple times where the same person had to buy it so many different times because you know of course they didn't take care of their <laughs> their CD or whatever it was or their their cassette or what have you but um, in some cases they were just here take it that's yours I'll go get another one mm-hmm. and 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 just gifting it to friends that that were just like oh my gosh you know it was such a fresh sound such a fresh sound. I, I I saw them once on the tour. They opened up for Peter Murphy in 1990, I believe, for Deep. And it was... Uh, <laughs> uh, it should have been a co-headlining tour because 40-something minutes was not nearly enough for, for them at that point. It was just such a abrasive wonderful show <laughs> and, and i think too i mean it has to be said i think for for bang for your buck nice Nell still put on one of the best concerts of any group that i know i mean i've seen yeah. them, i've seen them five times they always they always bring it his production uh you know his production is always value is so high now he spares no expense um the no. sound is always great and another of course i think yep. we were talking about how Chris Cornell and and uh, Mike Patton kind of hide their their feelings and their lyrics and did some things that are unorthodox. What makes Nine Nails so interesting is that he was so there was no metaphor. There was no no. It was just like uh, it was just naked, naked, and you know, and he On got yeah, and it just like you know, this sucks. I'm in pain. Yeah. I mean, it was just, and I think that's why that's another reason. Just as important as their sound was. The reason that goths, you know, flocked to him like and crazy is because of those lyrics. It really made made him relatable. 
And, uh, and that was a, a deep, you know, a, a big yeah. part, a big part of his thing. And I guess since you mentioned the Peter Murphy tour, I, I guess we just go and detour in, into deep, which was, yeah, why not? An, another, uh, it, yeah, another big, another big album. And this was, you know, just as, um, the cult became household names with Sonic Temple, Peter Murphy went from this very obscure roots and Bauhaus to, uh, you know, uh, it having one of the longest hits ever. I'm like, was it, what was the sh- show? It wasn't MTV live. It was MTV. Oh, they had this af- afternoon sh- show where it was like, and it was, it was there for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks with, with cuts you up. Cuts you up was like a major hit. Absolutely major hit. Man. I mean, uh, you know what? I, I don't, re- I don't remember the show. Um, yeah, it was, was it, it total request line? It was something like it that. Could have been that it was it? it was something like that, but it wasn't called that. It was it may have been like a, a rock. I forget what it was, but but all I know is that cuts you up was like number one for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Weeks. And, yeah. And, and uh, I'll I'll look it up in a second. But I mean, deep is you know that's that's another album that shows you how many how how far the goth scene had had trans had transformed. Like the cult went from Jarena Rock and Peter Murphy went from. This very obscure. I mean, I don't know how you would even classify deep. Really, it's still goth. I mean, but it had such a big, yeah. big sound to it. Um, yeah, there, there, it's 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 artistic. Yet, I think if you had, and I don't think he ever played arenas or anything like that. Um, but he was mainly playing small. Like here, uh, I saw that tour at the Arcadia. Great. Um, oh, I love that. Which is I love a, the place. A small, small two thousand something theater. Um, but it it was it was a pretty it was a he could he could have filled it up he could have filled it up with with the sound that he had for sure. Deep is there's there's a lot of uh, nuance to it. You know, it, it's one of those records that whenever you listen to it with your your earbuds or headphones or whatever it is that you use, um, you hear some things that you don't hear whenever you listen to it just in the car. Yeah, Peter Peter Walsh's production is, is is really great. Yeah, it's impeccable. I mean, just on Marlene Dietrich's favorite poem alone. I mean, all the layers of like harp and guitar, and I mean, that's just that's yeah. just such a fantastic song. Maybe one of his best. Um, Shy, great, seven veils, a line between the devil's teeth and that which cannot be repeat, which was just right. which of, of all the songs, that's definitely the most like Bauhaus. It even has like kind of the same cadence that's at, very... as, as, <laughs> as in as in the flat fields. It's a very similar cadence between those two songs. If you check it out, uh, but then it's got you know cuts you up and a strange kind of love is a, is a really a strong contender for the second uh, best ballad off that album. It's very just you know melodic and and. Almost has kind of a Led Zeppelin "Stairway to Heaven" kind of feel to it in many ways. Yeah, um, it's just it's just solid. It still sounds great. His voice, of course, is is you know, I saw him a couple I months. Think ago. It's at a, it may be at a peak right here. It really is because I saw him a couple months ago play the Paramount. He did. He's doing all the Bauhaus stuff. He still sounds great. But oh right, yeah, but but, yeah. but this one, man, he just was nailing it. I mean, it cuts you up. Is still you know, it's so funny because like if I ever put my iPod on like shuffle. No matter what playlist I pick, I always get two tracks that show up. It's always <laughs> Echo and the Bunny and Lips Like Sugar and Cuts uh-huh. You Up. 
those two are in every single playlist I ever do. I ever do the genius. It always pop up. It's like those two are just like, you must listen to these two songs. And, you know, cuts, you, cuts, cuts you up is great. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. And that's another song. If you've had the top 10 songs in 1989, that stick in your memory. It cuts you up was, was major. Cuts you up is there. And it's just, you know, it certainly is man. It super, certainly is. super moody. Uh, just really, really, really strong. So hats off to, to Peter Murphy's Deep. Where shall we go to next? Mine is a terrible thing to take. Yeah, we might we might as well talking about uh, Nine Inch Nails. Getting into getting into Nails and Peter Murphy and and just what was going on back then. Yeah, Ministry really Mine is a terrible thing to taste. Yeah, this was a this was a big transitional record. Yeah, it really it really showed how Ministry was going to heavy direction because it which began of course when they went um, from. Uh, you know the the with sympathy days, and they went to Twitch, and then of course uh, Land of Rape and Honey, which we discussed last year, which is a major yeah. major way, a major uh, sea change record, just showing the the collision of metal and industrial, and then uh, on terrible thing to taste, it's even, it's even more so metal. I mean, this was really like they they refined their sound. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's just you know it's just solid. I mean, it's like what I love about Ministry is just the groove and the unrelenting just. Just unrelenting groove that just will not let up, no matter, no, you know, uh, just opening up with thieves. You know, I mean, thieves is such a great, such a great track with that. Oh my god! That rip yeah. and those like power drill samples. You know, it's just like yeah, uh, it's just so heavy. <laughs> I, I just it, 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 it's like it's like they decided to go ahead and say, you know what, screw it, let's just let's just keep on it. Yeah. Let's keep uh, keep that abrasive, you know, in your face. Let, let's keep doing this. And and now we have, you know, Alien Jurgensen with ninety piercings on his face. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, uh, it, it it it's it's really the transitional. And whenever I say transitional, I think for them, it's not transitional to us really, but for, um, what people heard, you know, because they were like, Holy crap, because nobody heard stigmata. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, uh, um, unless you tuned into 120 minutes, you didn't really hear stigmata. Yeah. That was, it was not on the radio, but yeah, that was... whenever you get into, I think what translated on this record, uh, foremost was, they were heavy and melodic and in your face and they were not letting go. They were, they were going to, they were just going to take their claws and sink them into you and just make sure that you knew that they were there. That's, that was this record. And it, and it just showed that the one thing that ministry has is this overall sense of tension and like, and just yeah. and just ominous yeah. ominousness, and just from the opening like siren call on burning inside, just you just know it's like this is oh. getting this is getting dark, this is getting creepy, you know. It's just that that slamming slamming riff, and then you go from that to never believe, uh, you know, which has got Chris Connolly on vocals and adds a different yeah. element to the sound, yeah. and then breathe, which is another great one, and and then my personal favorite is so what. Which is just this, you know, like yeah. this super long track of like this weird, like you hear this, like uh, it's like a, uh, it's from like a, uh, I think it's from an Ed Wood movie. 
all that kill for a thrill stuff, those little samples, you know, and, oh, the, right. and, and the ha 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 and all the, and all those, <laughs> and all these weird little samples over this, this bass and a drum, uh, percussion track, very similar to Bella Lugosi's dead. That got, and it just lulls into this trance of the bass. All of a sudden it comes back with that. And just that riff is just so, it's so good, you know? And there's a few tracks on there that, that, that aren't as memorable, like Test or Dream Song, which is more kind of like atmospheric stuff. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's got some of their best tracks, and it really showed you kind of where they were heading, which, of course, is for Psalm 69, which is their heaviest album right. uh, uh, at the time. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Thieves Burning Inside, Breathe, and So What. I mean, that's basically all you need to know from that album, and it's just – it's all fantastic. Yeah. Just show me that dance and metal can coexist and sound incredible together. Uh, I just, that's, that's what, that's what I took from that for sure. So yes, hats off to that. And I guess one that we could kind of move towards the transition is one you pick for uh, another, the other album for mind bomb. Right. Yeah. Mind bomb, uh, you know, the, the overall had, had been on my radar for a while. I mean, uh, between Soul Mining and Infective, which is, uh, I believe Infective was the album before this one. Um, just solid efforts out of Matt Johnson. I mean, he was a singular, singular guy that that was bringing together musicians to, to create his vision. But Mind Bomb was so different for him, I, I, I really think, because not only did he give it always seemed like he just gave himself credit within a sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. But on this album, he was able to get the talent of the one Johnny Marr. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I guess at that point, the, the Smith, the Smith's the demise had happened two or three years earlier, at least two years earlier, it, it seemed. Um, but he was able to snag his talents, and uh, that record is such a dark record underneath. It re- there, there's really just very, very little. As and, and once again, I, I, I've said this several times. There's a lot of bleakness to the record. There's a lot of not much hope going on there. I mean, Armageddon days are here again. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> you know, was was that was that but, the was that the song with with the line um, "If Jesus Christ came back today, be gunned down by the CIA"? Is that is that? I believe. Oh gosh, uh, that may have been. That's one of the. I'm trying to remember it. That's one of the most I, amazing I it, lyrics I've ever heard. And I just never. I just right. Yeah. Yeah. It 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 really it. I I I think you're right. I I think it is. Um, but. The album itself sounds so just nonchalant about the end of times, about the end of a relationship, about, you know, the end of anything, whether it's your last day on a job or this is your your last day in, 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 in your house and you're moving to somewhere different. I mean – it really it, it's a closure record, if you ask me. There, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on this record that is just so sad, but at the same time, 
seeming so hopeful for hopefully something great's going to happen to me next. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully something good is going to happen next. And he touched on all all the you know, of course he touched. Uh, Matt Johnson was was known for touching on, uh, especially at this point, which uh, you know for for uh, music at the time was was pretty high. But he talked talked about politics, religion, um, and personal relationships, and all of that was 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 on this record. All of it. Nothing was 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 off the table for him. Nothing at all. And it's such it, it's such a wonderful record. I I I just I, I still love this album. And uh I should also note uh Sinead O'Connor makes a couple of appearances, I believe. Oh that's right. I think it was a couple. Yeah, that it was uh She uh she does some backup vocal which, you know, um may, maybe it's only the the one song that Kingdom of Rain. That's the only one I could think of off the top of my head, so that may be right. Mm-hmm, cuz they, they did they did one later on that on his next album, I think, but yeah, that was one that yes. that was really really pretty. I mean, and, and I think the the just you know, we discussed this when we discussed uh, albums from 1993, but that that's just a really underrated act, you know. It's uh just very unique. The guy's got a great soulful voice, mixes a lot of different genres right. together and, you know, Obviously a cult favorite, but you know, uh, maybe because of his weird name, it didn't catch on. His fact that the name you either love it or you hate it. I know some people are just like, "What does that mean?" The 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 the, the you know, it's just it's it's it's, it's, right. <laughs> it's 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 very it's very strange. But you know, a really solid and, solid there, album. There, there's just not a lot of output from him either. At no, point, yeah, he's you know? he's. I think he's coming and, out with something and, new, but it's taken him a long time. It. You know what? There, there was there was a record that he was supposed to do that was. Uh, supposed to be a bunch of Hank Williams covers. Mm-hmm. No, wait. Did that come out? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, did, yeah. That, did that finally come out? I think it did. Think... There there were there were a couple records that, that were rumored and rumored, and they've, they've never come out. So, I, you know, I, I don't know if he's so overtly... I don't know. Matt Johnson is a strange animal, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I appreciate his art a lot. This uh, Mind Bomb, of course, um, his follow up, uh, I believe it was called Lust. No, Dust. Dust. Yes, Dust. That, that was nineteen. Dogs, dogs, dogs of Lust was the was the the main single off that. But Dusk was a was a great record. But honestly, after that. Uh, what you're getting is, is is just stuff. I think that may may have been whenever he finally released Hanky Panky, but to not so much fanfare because it was so long gone. He kind of just faded he's, faded he's from view. He's a strange animal. He is. Yeah, and, and you know, I I I don't know exactly what's going on with that with that fella, but you know, mind bomb should be noted as one of the best albums of 1989 for uh for his 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 songwriting his content all of it it's it's just really a good good record it really it really puts 1989 in a nice alternative capsule absolutely and you know one thing is that made this a little frustrating for me that there's so many 
albums that be impossible to cover. So we have a couple of shout outs before we go further. Uh, I mean, you've got Love and Rocket self-titled album. You've got New Order's right. Te- Technique. Yeah. You've got Erasure's Wild. You've got Chili Peppers' Mother's Milk. You've got... A, all of these are great records. All yeah. All of them are really good records. Yeah, but... All of them are. Replacements Don't Tell a Soul, B-52's Cosmic Thing. I mean, it just, it's a crazy... I mean, albums came out in this year, and we just can't can't get to it all because we kind of are our personal favorites, and some we have to say more than others. But I just want to give a shout-out to, 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 some of the, to some of those and do a detour for something that you may expect for someone like me who's a Love and Rockets fan to do or a New Order, which I love. But I'm going to go right, a, a right. Kind, kind of an odd direction and choose Tin Machine. Uh, ni- <laughs> 1989, David Bowie said he's he's loves the Pixies. He loves all this, like, you know, Sonic Youth and Glenn Bronca, and he's like, I'm going to do my version of that. And he got the two sons of Soupy Sales, <laughs> uh, Tunt, uh, Hunt, 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 Hunt and Tony Sales, and the guitar powerhouse that is Reeves Gabriels, who's an amazing guitar player. Reeves Gabriel. And they did Tim Machine. The album came out. It got bad reviews. Fuck all those people. Tim Machine. Oh, Tim Machine. Oh. Tim Machine is a great album. I'll defend it to my dying day. I think it's great. I thought Tim Machine was so cool. Hearing Bowie in this really aggressive framework with songs like you know, Under the God and and uh, I Can't Read, uh, the title track. I, I will stand with you on it's, this record. It's great. <laughs> it's great. And there's a there's a bleakness I'm, to it. I uh, just I love it. I loved I, I loved the initial Tin Machine record, the the very first one. Now the the second one we we might have to arm wrestle on. <laughs> yeah, second was um, second was, was second one was. Eh, I don't the have second any. Second one was 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 fairly a a, a weak um, uh, follow up, but the first record, it, uh, yeah, I mean, really with David Bowie, man, it, it it takes a lot for me to tell you that there's poor David Bowie because David Bowie's one of my number ones, like all time number one. No, me too. And um for me even to say to Tim Machine too, you know, I, I hope that he's still smiling on me because I like the rest of this stuff and not Tim Machine too. But Tim Machine, this first Tim Machine record is it I love it too, man. I yeah. love that record. I <laughs> I'm I I, I feel terrible for not going to see it because I, I was trying to play cool guy and dismiss it just like everybody else. But now I feel like such a freaking heel for not taking an opportunity to see David Bowie. Yeah, I mean, see David Bowie whenever you can see David Bowie, period. He, he, That's he, all there is to it. Heaven's in here. I mean, you know, it's, oh, and, and uh, what, what was that song? A Prisoner of Love. I mean, there's so many. Pris- Prisoner of Love. Yeah, So yeah. many good tracks, you know. In many ways, Tim Machine kind of suffered the same fate as Iggy Pop's Instinct a year before, where two of these, you know, major icons kind of went right. kind of went hard rock. Uh, but I think uh, where Iggy went more kind of like in a Billy Idol cult kind of direction, uh, Bowie went into very yeah. very garage rock, Sonic Youth, Live Skull kind of direction. But I think it really works. I think and I think time is proving. You know, it's I think it's going to, you know, it'll 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 get its audience. It's still, you know, still it'll, has it's... it'll smile. It'll smile better on that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think Tim Machine's a really good, really good album. I thought it was really solid. Um, I'm just gonna kind of transition to it to a few others here. Um, I wanted to talk about "Floating in the Night" um, with by Julie Cruz. 
which uh, I, the Julie Cruz, yeah, which yeah. I, I thought was a fantastic album. I mean, this was right at the height of like uh, it, it was it came out before Twin Peaks a year before Twin Peaks came out, but when it Twin Peaks came out, it used the song "Falling" as the theme. Yeah, and and it really set iconic. Mm-hmm. It really set the tone for that. Uh, the music was all written by uh, An- Angela Badalamenti and David Lynch. They basically were like the the Phil Spector uh, team for for Julie Cruz because she. I read an arc where she was originally like this big like kind of like show tunes, uh, uh, Broadway kind of singer, and they totally transformed yeah. her into this real dream pop chanteuse. You know, very ethereal, just uh, such a smooth, clean, yeah. clean voice, and the whole. Album. I mean, she was you, doing Broadway before that. I so, didn't know that. Something wow. like that. I I I thought she was actually playing, but if she was doing like like musical theater, basically. I mean, she had like a big wow. brassy voice, and they're like, no, 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 we're going to go in a different direction here and do this industrial symphony. And and he just had, you know, floating um, the the title track, uh, just so many uh, the world spins, the nightingale, and many of these songs were used on Twin Peaks, not just not just falling. Um, so, so that uh, Twin Peaks has really made Julie Cruz kind of a thing, um, and it kind of worked hand in hand with making Twin Peaks a thing. I know that 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 she got really pissed off at Dave Lynch on 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 the on the return for not using her stuff very much, which is kind of kind of sour grapes on what happened there. But you know, there was a great a great sound, and I think that '89 had a lot of really good kind of stuff like that, really kind of atmospheric um, albums, which is. Why I also want to touch briefly on on hats by by Blue Nile, the Blue Nile, right? And that's one of those. And, 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 I, and I'm looking for education from you because this was a record that I initially dismissed, and and it, it, it it's been it's been in my cook for the last couple of weeks because I remember reading some something somewhere, might have been Pitchfork or something like that about they had something on on uh, Blue Nile hats. And and I thought, why are they talking about Blue Nile hats? So, please, yeah, let, get give me knowledge. Give me knowledge. Well, this was the weird thing about 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 um, the Blue Nile is that it came out in '89, right? This upcoming '89, but I did not hear it until almost three years later, when a friend of mine from from uh, high school was like, "Man, have you heard Blue Nile?" I'm like, "No." No, I'm not really into. I don't really know much about them. I saw the album cover. I didn't. He's like, no, man. It's like he's like, do you, you like Brian Ferry, right? He's like, yeah. If you like that, you gotta check out. You gotta check out uh, uh, Blue Nile. So I, I I found it used at the huh. C- CD store, and it was yeah, right. it, it was like immediately I was kind of taken taken into it. Um, it's just a very very atmospheric, very romantic. Uh, uh, the guy's vocals have a really cool uh, sound to it. Um, it's everything's everything's like kind of languorous and chilled out and kind of dreamy, and it's all relationship based. There's like let's go out tonight, Saturday night, seven a.m. It all it just feels like a very like kind of a homey record, kind of like we're gonna hang out tonight kind of a thing. Um, the downtown lights, headlights on the parade, and that's one of those albums too that I think came out and didn't really sell a lot of copies, but had a lot of influence. Because right. I mean, I know Annie Lennox has, has covered um, covered one of their songs, "The Downtown Lights," and oh, yeah. uh, and Rod Stewart. Huh. Rod Stewart covered that same song as well on one of his albums. So, oh okay. So yeah, it's it's just one of those one of those kind of uh, singular sounds that they just had this very slick, uh, just uh, 
yeah, they just had a very unique. It's it's one of those bands. It's really hard for me to describe because they're they were so uh, just so uh, just in this own world. I mean, Roxy Music is as close as I can so, kind of come to describe it. But, but I was going to say, does it fit in that like sort of new romantic period within a sense? I mean, towards the tail end of that. Kind. I, I know it's. I know it's often uh, uh, kind of uh, labeled as a sophistapop. I guess that's kind of the genre it gets. It gets. Oh, okay. It gets uh, kind of lumped into which like you okay. know, the okay. walk the Walker okay. Walker Brothers kind of stuff or you know Charday right, right. style cancel. Um, simply right. simply read all that kind of stuff, but but I, I it's really good if you like okay. that kind of slick slick style. I I I highly highly recommend it. Definitely definitely a good. Excellent. Okay. I'm intrigued and will seek out that record. So just just for fun, let's do a complete 180 and go to one of your <laughs> tracks, which is which was uh, Godflesh's 1989 release. Let's let's go. Let's go. This, this may this may have been a better segue earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but let's let's double back around. Let's go from from Blue Nile to, to, to Godflesh. Godflesh. Boy, I tell you what, if you want to talk about one of those records that it it, it it captures you by its cover, Godflesh is one of those records. It, it it was kind of up there in we're like in the mid nineties or mid nineties, mid eighties where it was an Iron Bane record with um Number of the Beast and the and the uh, uh Eddie that was playing puppet with the little demons, Satans, or whatever it was. I tell you what, being able, being seen at that point, this row of people on crucifixes that were on fire <laughs> <laughs> for street cleaner. Uh, you know, and and I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sound anti-religious, but you want to you want to talk about like something that that captures your your eye. They certainly did that with that one, and I, I, you know, at 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 the time I was unaware of much in 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 what was going on because once again we're talking about a UK phenomenon at this point. We're talking about what's going to lead up into um, what's known as more of the grindcore sort of sort of era mm-hmm. uh, or or sound. But um, th- there was this little label out of the UK called Earache, and they had this band called Godflesh. And they had uh, a-, a handful of, a handful of uh, uh, bands on-, on-, on their roster at this time, and Godflesh was the first one that really captured my, my attention, even though – it probably should have been Napalm Death with, you know, um, one of their scum, you know, scum or something like that. But uh, whenever I picked up Godflesh's Street Cleaner, it floored me. It floored me completely. It was a complete hallmark of. It was industrial, but it was different, and it was new. It wasn't ministry. No. It wasn't American. It was not American at all. It was completely 
I mean, there was there was no hope. And once again, bleak, mm-hmm. which is my theme for today. Yeah, it's... there was zero hope. You you had no no chance of survival at all. Period. The record was going to decimate you. Absolutely, there was no doubt about it. And there 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 was no way out. There was no way out whatsoever. And Godflesh, while they incorporated the industrial sounds and and you know things that that were familiar, but at the same time, it was so it, it sounded so fresh. It wasn't it wasn't American industrial at all. It was not. It was not because um, still at this time. Let's let's refresh back to the melodicism of what was going on with our mind is a terrible thing to taste. Because let's be real, that there was a lot of melody going on there as abrasive as it was. And nice nails, of course. God flesh and yeah, and, and, and nine inch nails. Uh, but God flesh was not. They're nothing God yeah. flesh was God flesh was psycho candy gone psycho. Mm-hmm. Is what it was. It was it just was like a hillscape. <laughs> it was a complete. It was the the end of the road. That was it. And it, born out of the mind of Justin Broderick, who who would go on and um, be part of like Nail Bomb later. Yesu. Um, uh, Yesu's great. Other, yeah, Yesu's fantastic. That that. There's so he's so talented, Justin Broderick is. Oh and yeah, it, it's 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 sickening almost that he keeps his own uh, aesthetic, and at the same time, he can be so he can he can be so diverse in the way he approaches every single sound, and uh, you know the. Godflesh to me is actually one of my favorite records of that year, just because I'd, I'd been a metal kid for so long. It was nice to feel metal in that kind of way. That was still current. It was a, it was a different sound. And at the same time, still kept with the aggressiveness and darkness that, that that I that are crazy, even though it wasn't really aggressive, sound wise, it was just aggressive in its because uh, it, uh, it wasn't fast, mm-hmm. it wasn't Slayer or, or or anything like that. But man, the record still stands up to me today. It really does. And I just wanted to bought the uh, Splattered record. <laughs> they had an anniversary record that they released and I, I, I should have bought it because it, it just means so much to me, but I, you know, I, I, I passed. <laughs> I also want, want to say that, you know, I was, I've, I've discussed how I feel like killing joke is a band that still gets heavier as they get going. They have not mellowed with age at all. And I feel that, right. I feel that God flesh is still very similar to that. I think God flesh is still doing really great stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. A world that only by fire came out 2014 is a fantastic just an amazingly dark and bleak record. And then Post Self, which came out a couple of years ago, was also really another amazing album. Oh, yeah. He's he's yeah, he's still he's yeah. still he's still killing it. He's still doing some really 
really, really great stuff. So yeah, Godflesh or, you know, I got in later to, I didn't get into Godflesh until like selfless into the nineties. So I was kind of a late, a late comer, but definitely respect their stuff. And, uh, and yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 Jesse Broderick is, is a, is, is, is the UK version of Alan Jurgensen. Or, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. without the piercings and all that, and, and all that great stuff. But uh, he, he certainly is. He's so diverse in in being able to incorporate. He he can do it all, man. He can do it all. Period. And makes it sound so big, you know. I mean, he yeah. can make this mountain of sound out out of just a, a a guitar with light strings and distortion. I mean, he he plays very unorthodox um, instruments to get his yeah. sounds, but it just sounds Absolutely. cavernous, you know. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a weird transition here because you mentioned crucifixes <laughs> from from uh, from a street cleaner. So I'm gonna do a very odd transition, but using that as as my uh, as my as my guide. Let's discuss. Do it, do let's it. discuss a really great album that really you don't hear about much anymore because it was it was kind of off the beaten path because it was a soundtrack, and that's Peter Gabriel's Passion. Uh, this was the soundtrack to Martin Scorsese's very controversial The Passion of the Christ. And for my money, is Peter Gabriel's best work. I know that's kind of controversial Ooh. to say. But, Ooh, but, wow. But I, really? I think that Passion was a really cool soundtrack. And it's one of those albums that you don't even need to like the Scorsese movie to, to appreciate. It's just right. it's just a, a strong, strong, uh, uh, strong piece of work on its own. And I don't even think he sings a word on that album, does he? I think it's all instrumental. No, he doesn't. No. But, no, it, it is... Yeah, I mean, and and there's a lot of it that he's not really playing on it. Yeah, it's it's. There, there's some parts where they're they're just sound recordings, you know, where yeah. he does the um, sort of uh, what's the guy that used to do the? Gosh, there's there's the American guy that went and did field recordings. Anyway, I'm. I'm not stealing your thunder here, but I, I I agree wholeheartedly. This is a fantastic album. It's just great. Please, please proceed. <laughs> I mean, the atmospheres are off the charts. You got a song, a very different song called Stigmata. You got Sandstorm. Uh, it's just it's yeah. it's all instrumentals. It's all very cinematic. Lazarus Rays of These Hope, Geth Geth's Main. I mean, just really cool stuff. But the one that I always sticks out to me because I've seen it. You know, one thing that all bands always like to do is is they make their own mixtape before they take the stage, you know, and they get you pumped up. They pick their songs that they like most of the time. And both Peter Gabriel and The Cult have both come out after uh, The Feeling Begins, which is the very first track off the album. And it's got this. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, that's, that's, wow. And it's just got that great. The Cult did that? Mm hmm. Yeah, for the 94 tour, that, that, wow. that, was, that was their opening track. And, I, and I've seen Peter Gabriel did it. Uh, Peter Murphy did it for, I believe it was for his Holy Smoke tour. But, uh, wow. Just that it's so trance like, and you get those, those like, tribal drums, you know, it just, and it makes you feel like there's something epic coming, which, yeah. I, which I know is why those bands used it. But I just think, you know, you don't really hear much about it anymore because. Passion because the last temptation of Christ was kind of like a right. kind of lived and died in a very short time. The controversy didn't really make it, uh, it was not one of Scorsese's most well regarded films, you know. It's 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 interesting, but no. you know, but just 
I just want to give a little quick shout out to that album because it's just really solid. And I also wanted to give a brief uh, mention to the Ocean Blue, who oh yes, uh, they came out with an album in uh, 1989. It was self-titled, if I am correct. And the Ocean Blue were just really solid, uh, you know, new wave basically. I mean, they were just a really great. I love that record. It's just it's all I love that record. It's all good, and uh, you know what's interesting about them is like Trent Reznor, uh, they are from Pennsylvania. But if you didn't know any better, you think for sure they right. were from like the UK because they have that echo in the right. echo in the Bunnyman sound so so down pat. You know whether it's between something and nothing, or uh, yeah. Scarborough Fair, um, uh, drifting falling. I mean, I I I read something a while ago. It was someone was talking about the Ocean Blue. It was on some blog, and they're saying the Ocean Blue is basically you know you think about the Ocean Blue, you think about walking around the fall in like nineteen eighty nine chilled out on a chilly night it's just very atmospheric very reminiscent of the era um just really good solid synth pop they never really were a huge band but that album was no they weren't and they kind of after this i love i did love that record a lot i that was a that was on heavy rotation for me just because i i i like i really liked that we had an american counterpart to the um to the sound of, uh, of of like you said, the Echo and the Bunny Men, and it was so so super melodic. And I don't, I'll be honest, I I, I don't know the name names of any of the guys in the band. Me neither. But <laughs> it was, it, uh, you know, it it was so super. They were, those guys were so good, and I, I you know I, I'd love to go I, I'd love to go see them, and I never have, but I I, I really did love. That one and their second album, Cerulean. Mm-hmm. Um, the, both of those records are really, really, you know what? They're nice records. Uh, 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 and, and that may sound pedestrian and what have you, but they were really nice records, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to see those guys. And the reason that I picked the album over Eleven Rockets and, and A New Order's Technique, which were bigger records and just as, you know, uh, uh, something that I, I enjoy. I just think the Ocean Blue doesn't don't get their fair due. They're very underrated, right. and you'll never yeah. hear you'll never hear them on First Way, which I find really annoying because you know they were. Yeah, that is pretty annoying actually. Because they were in the thick of it. You know, they're all over the edge. You know, they played yeah. them all the time, and I mean, and they just I mean, it's really good, good, good work. You know, maybe when they say I can interview one of those yeah. guys and see if they're if they're still around, they want to do something. But I think that you know, I. I'm a big Ocean Blue fan, and I wish they got more, more respect. They don't get enough respect. Yeah, in my personal opinion. I agree opinion. with that. I mean, hey, you know what? New Order was 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 very well entrenched, and whenever they put round and round and and in in any of those those singles out uh, off a of technique, uh, you know, the, the, those are all great songs for sure. And same thing going with with Love and Rockets. I think Love and Rockets was. They, they they hit a weird uh, a, a weird sense by having a hit song, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, being able to hit was so alive was not 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 real, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it, that honestly for me was like that's not real. That can't be happening. And it's even weirder that cannot be happening. That there was hardly any guitar in the song. It's almost like all bass and drums, you know, which is kind of uh, right. Exactly, and in in uh, you know 
don't get me wrong, it's it's a solid it's a solid entry. That record is, but being able to to hit on 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 a different level for Love and Rockets that was that really struck it really strange. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't want I really didn't want. <laughs> I wanted to keep my music for me. Yeah, that was a selfish aspect really we, that we all had back then. You know, and, and I'm not trying to be selfish. I'm just trying to. You can have your music over here, with with your the Jets and Debbie Gibson and what have you in 1989, and I can have my music over here with the Cure and Love and Rockets and. But you know what? Stuff like that has has got to happen, and you know, there you go. Yeah, I think Sonic. That's how it works. Sonic Tipple kind of hits it. That's how it works. Hits on that spot with me too. Like the cult weren't yeah, my band anymore. You know, it does. they were opening up yeah, from a yeah. from a. I think I did. We discuss it last Metallica? year. Yeah, but I discussed it last year. We talked about Injustice for All when I was on that tour, and people were like throwing stuff at the cult and everything, and like Ian lost it, jumped right, in the yeah. yeah. So I've already yeah. gone into that, but yeah, that was a perfect example. Of two bands that. Should have toured together. Well, and, and and most famously around here is whenever um, uh, the Melvins opened up for uh, Nine Inch Nails on the Fragile tour, and they were throwing so much crap at the Melvins that the Melvins were like, "Fuck y'all!" Yeah, we'll do what <laughs> we want. They went total. They went total distortion for like the rest of their set. You know. I, like total distortion, like they didn't play another song. Yeah, like, they just went total distortion for the rest of their time on the stage. And, it, and I believe, well, I mean, I, I I don't want to say that this is it, but Colossus of Destiny, the Melvins, in you know, record is is pretty much that kind of set. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a total feedback fest, total feedback fest. That's all they did. So something I, I should probably add back in when all other edit artists keep it right here, but just talking about uh, tour openers, I just wanted to mention I forgot to say that at one point uh, Faith No More opened for Poison in support of the real thing. Oh wow! And they got and they got <laughs> thrown off the tour because because her Mike Patton got on stage and said, "Did you know Ricky Rocket likes to suck his own cock?" <laughs> and they got kicked off the tour. <laughs> that's just that's glorious. <laughs> that's glorious. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, just that, that always makes me laugh. But if, oh man, that's great. <laughs> but I guess if we're gonna talk about ba- bands that you kind of felt weren't necessarily your bands anymore, we need to discuss Depeche Mode's One on One. Yeah, I, 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 I put it on my list. Not so much that it's one of the best albums, but I, I still think that we need to recognize it as one of the best live albums because it really does. It sums up a lot of what was, um, you know, Depeche Mode was really starting to come into uh, a mainstream focus. And where Music for the Masses was, was a tremendous record for them. Um, not just sales wise and 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 also on on, on the the charts. Yeah, it, it really helped but help. one oh one one oh one really helped them a lot, if you ask me. 
um, set the stage for the year that followed was, with, with Violator. Yeah, it, it, it really it really set the stage for them over the next, uh, well, un, un, until today, honestly, if you want to be real about it, where they are, you know, chart-topping uh, artists now whenever they release anything. Um, with, with, with that record, I mean, of course, that was the, the show that had the big Pasadena show, mm-hmm. with, um, OMD and, and Wire and, uh, Thomas Dolby. Um, I actually was in Los Angeles. I think it was about three or four days later after the tour, after that show. And, uh, my aunt was awesome. Uh, that's we stay. We always stay with my aunt whenever we visited California, and she saved me. Um, the, uh, the they're sort of like weekly entertainment sections, and they were always so so great because they would be really thick, really thick booklets of who was playing at what. You know, and it, it was an entertainment section for the week. And um, it would have shows that were playing at the Whiskey, that were playing at the Rainbow, that were playing at the Irvine Coliseum or, or Pasadena or whatever, whatever what, what was in um, an, you know, an earshot of where they live in Rancho Palos Verdes. And so uh, I, I don't think I still have it, but at one point I did have the, uh, the big page ad to where it had Depeche Mode with the big Music for the Masses logo and all the bands that were playing there. And, and like I said, I remember it was OMD and Thomas Dolby and Wire played, which is, I know that, that was on our list for today, or Ibtaba. Yes. It's beginning to and back again. Yes. But, um, you know, that was, and, and mind you, uh that tour was for oh gosh maybe it was Ibtaba. I don't know it may it, it may have been but um, yeah all I really have to add for Ibtaba, and I'll let you get back to it it's just that special significance for me because it was the first CD I ever bought that was that was my very first oh, was it really? CD and was it really and I didn't realize till years later that it's almost all live recordings. I had no idea because it's so yeah. it's so smooth sounding. Yeah. So that's all I wanted to add about Wire is a great band, of course, and we're not going to get derailed. But yes, Ibtaba holds well, a special place in my yeah, heart. No, no, no. And and, and I, I loved how Wire was – well, of course, Wire was on Butte, which was on the same label as as uh, Depeche Mode. So they they got their fair shake at it. Um, but there's such there's such a a, a specific type mm-hmm. sound band. They're 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 not going to fit in with a lot of uh, normal sorority <laughs> or or whatever. Um, the best mode fans. But anyway, going back to uh, 101, I think that that show was such a incredible. Um, document for a band that was right there that they had the, the, there was no there was no other way for them to go anywhere but up there was no way I, you, you listen to 101 
and the performance that they put on that on, on that show if if you didn't think that they were going to go anywhere but but up on the charts period even the, you know remind you know throw away the UK and the the US but they were going to be all over the place i mean violator of course solidified where where they were going to be but they were going to be a force to be reckoned to and alternative music and 101 was that document yeah it really showed too how they were like one of the few electronic bands that that could get the same status as as a as a rock band and it's all because of Mar- yeah. Martin Gore's sense of like melodrama uh, the way he could construct tracks and also I mean you know Dave Gahan was like the cheerleader you know I mean Dave Gahan had a great has a great stage presence I mean you know he's just he's just he's like the ambassador for 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 that type of of music and he and he proved that you could you know that you could you could do it you could be as big as you know a Bon Jovi or or whoever out there just be, yeah. just because they yeah. they had the sound they had the wide sound they just they had the ambition I mean, the Pesh Mode are so goddamn great. I mean, I, I can sing their praises all day long. They're just, they're one of my favorite bands. Well, and, and I just think they're, yeah. And uh, for, for, for me, for me at that time, and, 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 and maybe I'm being too, too um, nostalgic about it, but um, for me, it's, it's a lot more, it's Alan Wilder. For, you know, Alan being part of the band at that point. You want to talk about a, a conductor? I mean, I mean, you know, like Leonard Bernstein. He is, he is for me, the guy that pulled it together. You know, for that for those next two, next two tours. Because I, I I've been on 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 edge with with Depeche Mode, and you know, I I I think I've been fairly um, vocal fairly at least <laughs> on uh, social media about what it what it's been like for me on the on the last couple of records from them uh, where I haven't been so pleased but uh, you know it, it, it's Alan Wilder was part of this this uh, this group now which he hasn't been since uh, songs of faith and devotion um, uh, you know I, I, I really think that this band would 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 be bigger, bigger than big at this point. And what they figured out is they don't need Alan. All they need to do is be the best mode and that's it. And so I, I, I have been vocable, vocable about my complicity on the band. I, I, I still love the fish mode, but I did kind of within a sense break up with them. <laughs> <laughs> One one oh one is a an absolute highlight of for me and of their careers. I think that you can you you really can get better than that. If they had recorded Violator the way that they did one oh one, then that would have trumped it. But it's also you know I also got to say the documentary is so damn weird. The one that this is the soundtrack for. Oh, yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it's like I'm not really. It really is. It's it's a 
weird one. It's not. It's not a really compelling documentary. I don't think, but it's. It's just. It's. It's. It's, it's just. It's weird. It's just a really strange. It's just like. It's a weird one. It's just. It's. Hey, let's take. Let's take radio winners. People that that won on the radio and take them on tour and film them. Yeah. Great. And 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 directed <laughs> by the guy that did Woodstock. I mean, it's it's it's, it's just it's, right? it's a weird ass movie, you know. And you know, it really is. And I guess if we're talking about movies and soundtracks, something I probably should have segued uh, from Julie Cruz into, but I wasn't thinking. And I'll be real quick here because I know we're we're we got the the uh, the big one to get to. But Chris Isaac's Heart Shaped World came out in 1989. Oh yeah. Much like uh, much like uh, much like uh, um, Julie Cruz's Into the Night. Uh, you know, uh, Heart Shaped World was 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 used extensively uh, extensively by uh, David Lynch uh, for Wild at Heart. Yeah, uh, a couple of years later, yeah. where he used uh, a Wicked Game for the Wild at Heart soundtrack, which of course has become a massive hit. It's been covered by so many different artists. It's a it's a great song. I mean, it's just that that weird wonky guitar line, and it's just you know it's epic. He also used Blue Spanish Sky. It was a lesser known song. But, you know, yeah. Heart Shaped World was just a really cool album because it would sound totally different than anything else that came out that year. It was completely different than anything that, you know, in the next couple of years because it was like straight out of like 1955. You know what I mean? It was a very, yeah. very rocket Billy influenced record. It showed Chris Isaac as just a really great vocalist. And yeah. I think it's got Absolutely. plenty of songs just as good as, as, as Wicked Game. But Wicked Game was like the one that Lynch knew was like, you know, Lynch, Lynch knows how to pick those songs. He just has a great musical taste. And uh, he went with that. And it's a great track, so yeah, just a shout out to Heart Shaped World. Uh, did you want to touch? Absolutely. Did you want to touch on David Burns' uh, Ray Momo before we go to the our mutual number one pick? Yep, yep. Real quick, I wanted to say uh, I, I I loved uh, David Burns' Ray Momo, uh, and mainly because of at that point it was hard to find a uh, mainstream artist like David Byrne to. Uh, to uh, uh, really inflect uh, some cultural influence into his, his his music. I mean, different cultures. And Ray Momo is it's such a fantastic record. It, it, it really is. It really opened up what what David Byrne was going to do, especially with with his Luca Bop album or uh, his Luca Bop uh, record label. And so, uh, it, mind you, it has a lot of uh, Cuban influence and or or mariachi style or anything like that. But um, Ray Momo was really my introduction into his Luca Bop album or, or his record label, and it's it it it's culturally um, something that that was significant for me. So I realized that there were other sounds in the American sound. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of, 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 of a lot. And Luca Bop has now such an incredible array of uh, diversity in, 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 in presentation on whether it's, you know, South African, West African, Cuban, everything, you know, it's such a, such a fantastic introduction into, uh, 
some of the some of the the, the variety of sounds that you can find in 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 a and it Raymoa was just that that pinpoint record for me. Yeah, I mean, in in many ways, uh, Burn kind of did what Peter Gabriel did, which is like expose you know American audiences to exactly. to, to world music, and that exactly. was exactly exactly. So they both you know, deserved some a tip of the hat for for that. Yep. Um. All right. We're, exactly. We're here for the big one. Here it is. There can be only one mutual one. pick for the best album of 1989. Arguably, for my mind, one of the best albums of all time. I'll say it. It's one of the best top ten albums of all time for me. I think it's their best album. It's The Cure's Disintegration. It is just, I mean, talk about a mammoth album. Uh, talk about an album that 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 could have gone a totally different way because it was so dark and so dense that the record label was like pushing Robert Smith to do more poppy stuff. He said, no, I'm going to do this anyways. Fuck you guys. And it became their biggest selling album, which is, you know, crazy. But it comes out, it came out, in May of 1989, uh, I remember that was also one of the the first CDs I bought shortly after Wires Ibtaba. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember taking it home, looking at <laughs> looking at the liner notes, and it said on the liner notes something to the extent of, "This record has been recorded to be played loud, so turn it up." And yeah, <laughs> if you if you crank it loud, you get so much more out of it than you do if you listen to it quietly. Which you know, it's not you can't always do that though, because I mean, to me, disintegration for many years, even still. Five Insomnia. It's often one of my Insomnia records. I've slept to disintegr- oh, really? disintegration hundreds of times. It's just helped lull me to sleep. I find it very soothing. But, uh, my God. I mean, somehow they managed it's, to, it's, to, uh, yeah. to out, you know, it's, I would say it's the darkest pornography, but it's a production, uh, is a, a collection of songs. It's, it's just stellar. I mean, my God. You've got the hits, of course. You've got your Love songs and pictures of you and love songs, you pictures know, of you, yeah. Fascination Street. It, 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 here, you know, it, it, it's the it's it's a dichotomy. It, it gave it gave the record label what they wanted with with the with, with the hits. Uh, you know, there's there's no way that you can deny the song. The you know the song is pictures of you or lullaby or anything like that. You, you, there's your hits, but we're gonna bury underneath. Same deep water as you, a fucking eight-minute song. With that, that is dense, dark. There's the the, the sound of rain mm-hmm, all throughout it. You know, and all throughout it, and it is, it is just as, uh, it, it's just as loathing as anything that you may get off of pornography, if you ask me. It is an absolute gem of a record. Yeah. Then you've got the title That's, title track, which is also epic. Yeah. Epic. Absolutely. Plain song. What an opener. You know, it, uh, yeah. It's wind, I mean, the wind chimes and then boom, it's just like such a, such a fantastic opening to that album. I, it's, it's such, I, I, I think plain song is, is, is the song that you can, you can go to as, this this appeases the what what the label wants as far as being possibly melodic yet still as dark as the cure is mm-hmm. and, you know as, as as far as um 
Robert's songwriting can can be, but it's so long that they can't use it as a single. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, it's like, hey, you know what? Work with this. How's that? This is this is what you wanted. This is what I wanted. Yeah, they put it into a sandwich. Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it's such a freaking fantastic record, man. And, and Disintegration really typifies kind of what I, I say is the classic Cure sound, which is like the band plays for five minutes before Robert even starts singing, <laughs> and then he kicks in. I mean, that, that's that's how you know it's a Cure song. That you're like, when the vocal is going to come in? That's why they make radio edits for right. for pictures of you and and, and past Nation Street because he they make you wait for those vocals. But but I I love that because he puts you in this kind of trance, and also he lifts you out of the trance. It's just it's a it's that's their patented sound, and I always. Right. Always works because it really also puts the puts the attention on on the instrumentation, how the songs are written. So it's not all about yeah. his voice. Yeah. But you've got homesick. You've got uh, oh, uh, last da- last dance, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, you know. Yeah. It's you know I I mean I it's been lauded in pop culture so many times. And remember that the South Park said it was the best album ever made. <laughs> you had it used in, in Ant Man. You know, it's like it's it's everywhere. Right. It's just it's one of those it's one of those rites of passage albums that if you grew up in the era it was a must have. If you if you were born after nineteen eighty nine, it's a must have. It's just one of those albums that right. it's so complete they would never do one as great as that. That was their last great album. I think Wish is I think Wish is very good, but Disintegration is still right. is is the high watermark. It's just it's got everything. There's not one bad track. There's nothing there's it's not you could call it overindulgent, but it's not because it all works. It's just uh, Smith at his best, his best. You know what? I don't care. I'll, I'll be honest. If you want to call it overindulgent, yeah, sure, it is. But you know what? It's better than your overindulgent record. Yeah. That's what I got to say. Yeah, and it, I mean. That, you know, I, and, 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 and for for me, the closest that they've been is um, uh, Bloodflowers. Mm-hmm. Bloodflowers was 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 very very close it's a good album but it's still it, yeah it, it, it that's a great record but i you know the i think the follow-up the uh the the, the wish album was a little bit more of what the, the record label was looking for mm-hmm. to get and so they 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 let them they let them have wish but then they served them back up with like something like bud flowers uh or let's see what was the record after uh, wish that was oh, not oh, that was that was, was that was uh, their worst that's their worst album um wild uh, wild wild mood swings which had the 13th on there which is probably their their, wild mood swings, their, wor- their worst song it's, it's yeah. like there's like four really good songs in there and the rest is just like Bleh. oh my god that was that was a big letdown that album there you go <laughs> yeah that was that was that was not disintegration disintegration was like i guess it's the only kind of album that only a band you know that were still young and have enough hubris to to try to try to pull off would, would, would do you know I mean, Robert Smith just, yeah. he was like, you know, it's just dark as can be, but it's still very accessible. I mean, there's... Disintegration is the most perfect album of 1989, period. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's... Period. I mean, that's why... Out of everything that we've talked about today, it is the most perfect album. And that's why I'm watching their website like a hawk for any chance of any American tour dates for the disintegration. Because yeah. I will drive to Houston, <laughs> I will drive to Dallas, I will drive to go see this tour because it's one of my favorite albums, and I want to hear it. I've heard yep. I've heard them play plenty of it live. I remember that one tra- tour they did back in 2000 where they did all the dark stuff, you know, which is great. Yeah. But to hear it all the way yeah. through would be would be awesome. I mean, I just yeah, I, I'm right there with you, man. I I bought it 
I bought the original. I actually a few years ago I got the deluxe edition for a birthday gift, which they re released, which is like a bunch yeah. of great bonus stuff. It's got um, you know, some bonus tracks, the demos, which are interesting to hear and the kind of in their infancy, even there, you can still hear the brilliance, even though it's like a lot more rudimentary and stark. But yeah, I mean you can't pick a better album in nineteen eighty nine than Disintegration. And it's still the Cure's best album. Yeah. And it's probably the best album yeah. out of the whole goth genre. I mean, it's just it's it's the it's it. I mean, I can't really say any more. I don't want to just, it's, it's, so we could almost almost like do an entire show that's track for track on this on on, on that record. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, maybe maybe we should. <laughs> it's just it's it's there's just so much to do. But yeah, I think yeah, I think we've I think we've covered it. I think if this if that record is not in your in in your collection at all, whether you've downloaded it or actually physically owned it, you're doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> yeah, listen to it today. You're doing yourself a disservice. Listen to it now. Yeah. Well, I think we have gone to 1989 as much as, as, much as humanly possible for doing an entire year in music. Yeah. We have covered it and, and then some. Or as or as Spinal Tap, David C. Hubbard says, we have traveled the world and elsewhere. We have We have nailed it. So thanks again. Yeah, I think so. Thanks again, Chris, for for chiming in. This should be a really good one. I look forward to. Thank you for having me. And, Always appreciate it, man. And we will do 1994 next. Give a little while for us to rest up on that. Wonderful. Yeah. But uh, awesome. Thanks again, and we'll do this again very soon. All right.